Hey, ebook readers, right now, the Flight Attendant Joe series ebooks are only $2.99. That's Fasten Your Seatbelts and Eat Your Fucking Nuts, Flight Attendant Joe, and I'm Just Here for the Layovers on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo, $2.99 each. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe. It's episode number 22. It's amazing. And I want to thank you guys so much because last week I hit a milestone with five over 5,000 downloads. Now, you might think that doesn't seem like a lot, but when you're first starting out with a podcast, it's very slow. You don't just jump into being Joe Rogan. Wouldn't we all want to be Joe Rogan? No, it's a very long and tedious process and you have to keep pushing through and you have to keep focused on delivering the best content you can. So I want to thank you guys so much for downloading, subscribing, leaving iTunes reviews, telling your friends, sending me messages on social media. I really appreciate it. If you have a chance and you can, please go ahead and check out the patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe page. There's many different level tiers. There's a $2.50 tier per month, all the way up to $25 per month. You know, it's a lot of work putting this podcast together. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to blow smoke into your ears or anything like that, but it's a lot. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time and it's becoming like a job. So if you can find it in your heart to become a patron, to support the podcast, please check it out again. It's www.patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe. Remember, you'll always be able to listen to the podcast free on your podcast apps. But there are some freebies that I've thrown in there. There's, of course, the Friday debrief, which is message. I can never say messages. Messages that I give to only Patreon patron supporters, and they can find that on the Patreon page. It's little wrap up of the week. And that is for all the different tier levels of the patreon.com slash grounded with flight attendant Joe Patreon page. So please check that out. Um, you know what? This episode's really cool. A couple months ago, I set out to talk to parents, flight attendants, pilots, and healthcare workers about living and working through COVID-19. And this is it. This is the last one. I, and trust me, I did not plan it to be the day after National Nurses Day. Last week or a couple weeks ago, the pilot episode came out the day after World Pilots Day. This episode comes out after National Nurses Day. So I, I, it is not, it was not set up like that. It just happened to be the way the universe wanted things to come together. This is the longest episode I've ever recorded. So I need to, I need to get this rolling here. Today I have four guests, four guests on this podcast. And like I said, it's the longest podcast I've ever had. Part one is with Jake. Jake is the director of public safety in Manatee County. Part two is with Corey. He's a clinical ops manager for an urgent care. Part three is with Sarah. She is an orthopedic RN based out of North Carolina. And wrapping it up at the back end is Dan. He is an airline pilot. Now, his wife is a healthcare professional. And I've always wanted to know what's it like for the spouse to sit at home and watch your loved one go to work. We always hear from the healthcare workers. I wanted to hear from one of the spouses. So ladies and gentlemen, please put it together for Jake, Corey, Sarah, and Dan. I'm so glad they could be on the show today. 
<laughs> I am so excited to have Jacob Sauer on the show today. Jake, how I'm going to call you Jake. I'm not going to call you Jacob. That sounds too professional. How are you today? Doing good. How about you? I am I'm doing well. I'm doing well for um, the state of the world right now. But I want to thank you for coming on the show. Um, would you please let everyone know who you are and what you do? And that's, yeah, that's about it. Sure. I am, uh, obviously, my name is Jacob Sauer. I'm the director of public safety for Manatee County, which is a uh, county located in Florida, on the west coast of Florida, along the Gulf Coast, with about 410, 411,000 residents. There's over 400,000 people that live in Manatee County? Yeah. yeah. Wow. The, uh, seat, the, seat, the city is uh, Bradenton. We, we're, um, we're often looked at in the region as Bradenton, Sarasota. So you might not know Bradenton, but Sarasota is just the county south of it. You know, I used to live in Bradenton. If I, if I must say, I was a rising star in the community theater there. <laughs> <laughs> I, owned, I remember that <laughs> i owned anna maria island for like a couple seasons no but um jake which, and, by the way go ahead which by the way that that is still there but um the uh other community um uh plays they built a, a big a big theater downtown which is very Right. I think when I was moving or after I had moved, because I lived, I moved from there in like 2002, I, um, they were tearing down the old Manatee, um, community theater and they were building a big one. Manatee players. Yeah. Manatee players. Yeah. But I was, I was the, I, I was part of the Island players for a while. So, um, so let me let the listeners know, Jake and I have known each other for two decades. We met in 2001. So if you think, oh, what is this? Just two friends chatting? Yes, that's exactly what it is and reminiscing about Bradington. But I do want to ask you some serious questions. So because, you know, because I'm a flight attendant and I don't know a lot of things, <laughs> what does the director of public safety do? So the director of public safety, he uh, manages, well, public safety for the county. So uh, it is a department within Manatee County government. Um, we overse I oversee emergency medical services, so EMS and their response, um, the 911 division, the emergency management division. So for those of you who aren't familiar, emergency management's a big thing in Florida, and that's the guys who manage typically a response to hurricane, although... They've stepped up and, and uh, assisted managing the response to COVID-19. Uh, and then besides that, we have beach patrol and animal services. So uh, most people think of animal services sort of like dog catchers, but that is a, uh, it's, a, it's much more complex than that. Is it not just um, animal, is it animal control out in the city too? Like, like, oh, there's a raccoon dead in the road. Is it that those people that take care of that stuff also? Yeah, typically not. Not uh, they don't pick up um, wildlife that's been dead in the road. But um, yeah, everything else within the county, all all living animals within the county, usually. Now you have actually. Um, I went on. I went online to search you up before we started recording because I was like, let me see his resume, and it's long. Like I stopped. I got tired of writing. I was just like, this guy's done everything. You know, you started as a paramedic <laughs> and you've worked your way up to running public safety. So. Congratulations on that. That's incredible. Thank you. Yeah, um, it's, uh, I've been at the county for 20 years, so, which is hard. People, younger people don't really keep jobs that long, so I, I, it's a little different. 
Yeah, and but you also took you also started as a paramedic working on the ambulance, and now you're running the you know public safety in the county. So I I yeah. I feel like I'm not worthy of talking to you today, but I'm going to push through because <laughs> I'm going to do the best I can. I'm not even drinking for this okay. for this call, but me, yeah, me neither. Well. See, I should have told you to at least have a drink before you got on the podcast with me, because Lord knows what will come out of my mouth at any moment. But you said beach patrol. You So you monitor or manage the beaches being open. Is that what it is? Or can you explain that to me? Well, typically, um, Florida, especially Manatee County, we have Anna Maria Island, Holmes Beach, Braden Beach. Anna Maria Island is the, is the island that all of those beaches are on. They are in my opinion, not because I grew up here, I've, I've visited many beaches. They're some of the most beautiful, especially in the state of Florida. Uh, but sometimes uh, in most places in the in the country, but yeah. So we don't typically close beaches in Manatee County. Um, that is our bread and butter for tourists and, and uh, a lot of how the businesses open and uh, maintain their own cash flows. But uh, during COVID-19, we, we have closed the beaches, yeah. Are they still closed or are they open now? The beaches are still closed. They've been closed for almost a month now. Uh, I actually, I take that back. It's late in the evening, so I had to gather my thoughts. We just, uh, on Tuesday, the Board of County Commissioners um, voted to reopen the beaches uh, in Manatee County, the public beaches, uh, with some limited restrictions. And that is... Um, a two, basically a two-hour time frame that you can be on the beach. So as you come into the public parking areas of the beach, um, you're greeted by a county worker who gives you a pass, um, tells you when you're due back to your car. And if you're not, you know, they try to work with you. But, um, you know, if you decided that you just wanted to stay all day, you'd definitely get a ticket to fine. Now, so if you stay on the beach after this two hours, you're going to get a ticket. But are they maintaining like certain levels of, okay, there can only be 50 people on the beach, there can only be 40 people on the beach, or no? No, uh, and the beaches are, are they're, they're big here, um, and, and they, can, they can support a lot of people. It's not like these, those pictures you see during spring break. It took a long time for us to get to those beaches being open, and I think now that most of the tourists in the area have gone back home um spring breaks over the the <clears throat> residents they they cherish those beaches and they know that it took a, a leap of faith for us to get to the beaches back open and um, today being the first day that they're open we, we did get good reports that everybody everybody was socially dis distancing and um maintaining safe space so that's a, a good first report now on the weekend we'll see how that goes they have not been open for the weekends yet that's coming up so that'll be a good test because, you know, during the week, you know, the people who do work from home are at home. They don't have a time to go to the beach. So this coming weekend, um, it's going to be the first weekend that they've been open. So you're really going to get a good level of like, how are people following the rules? Yeah. Um, and I think the beaches are going to be okay. Um, we're, you know, we also had the boats, boat ramps closed public boat ramps, the county has um, a lot of public boat ramps, different access points where residents and visitors can access the Gulf and the river and the waters um, by boat. And um, I closed those um, three weeks ago. And uh, right, wrong, or indifferent, the, the public did not like that. So the, the boat ramps were opened up first, 
they they opened up about two weeks ago. Reopened, um, and those are uh, those are packed. And it's not the boat ramps we're worried about. You know, you really disrupt your boat in the water, park your truck, and go on about your businesses. In Florida, there's um, lots of man-made or not man-made islands um, that people can take their boats out to, park, anchor, and um, get out and party. And uh, we've noticed some congregating along those types of islands. That's uh, definitely not healthy, but we're monitoring it, and we'll see how it goes. You know, <laughs> I lived in Florida for 25 years, and but when now when I it seems like Florida's always in the news, <laughs> and it's something to make fun of. And what comes to mind is that when Jacksonville opened up the beaches and like, they were like, all right, no, you know, remember to social distance. And then the first thing that we saw was just like 50 people playing volleyball and throwing themselves on top of each other. And um, being in charge of safety, how do you deal with, with that? Because I hate to say it and I'll say it, you don't have to say it, but people think that they're i i'm in charge of myself and i i know what's right for me but sometimes Um, people don't that that is that's very true um so when i when i look at safety and i look at um, when we're talking about COVID 19 um, which is new typically you know everyone in the world hasn't had to deal with this but uh, I typically look at it through a hurricane lens and, and or bad weather that's coming through and what we need to do to protect our residents and visitors. But it's for the last three months or so, it seems like it's been COVID-19. So that's been my life. There's a couple of different things. Uh, when you talk about safety and, and related to COVID-19, you talk about, I, I truly do get people wanting to get out of their house. Um, no one should be cooped up in their house like like we have been and asked. And, and for the most part, most people have done very well at doing that. But at a certain point, you know, you have to get out and you have to do things. Um, but when we talk about uh, social distancing and closing things down, that that's to, to, to stop the spread of, of the virus. So if we keep going up in our numbers, you know, it doesn't prolong uh, what we've been doing um, with, you know, stay in place and, people not getting out and being able to do the fun things that they want to do, especially if the weather has not helped us at all here in Florida. Um, But this is going to be around for quite a long time, but, you know, we we are trying to manage the spread um, and and the best we can until there's a vaccine available. Right. Because from what I've, what I've listened, you know, I try to manage my news intake so I don't get stressed and anxious. So, but what I've, what I've picked up is at some point, a lot of people are going to get COVID-19. A lot of people have gotten it. But the reason we stay home and the reason we try not to get everyone everyone to get sick at one time is so that we don't put so much pressure on the hospitals. Am I correct? Yeah. Well, yeah. It's, uh, hospital beds are, and especially ICU beds, they're at a premium when we talk about a surge or we talk about COVID-19 and that's what we need to protect because, you know, you don't ever want to get into a biomedical ethical question of, do I use the ventilator on this person and for this person? And, and then you got to explain why you chose one over the, over the other. And, you know, when we first started this, we, that was by all projections, what we were looking at. Um, and through social distancing and through, 
most everyone taking this very seriously, we were able to flatten that curve so we don't have to think about that. But as we get back to opening up things and we get back to somewhat of a normal life that we remember before COVID-19, um, it's very easy to get caught up in the moment and forget, you know, to wash your hands, to social distance, cover your cough, wear a mask when you're out. So, um, you know, some people, uh, including me, believe there'll be another spike. Um, when that comes, we're not sure. Yeah, I, I think there'll be a second wave also. And, um, and you know, I was talking about this the other day with someone that, you know, if COVID-19, if like you got COVID-19 and your skin started falling off, people would be, they would take this shit so seriously. Like if it was like, oh, you know, you're, if you get COVID-19, your arms fall off. People would not leave the house. But because, well, you know, go ahead. You brought up a good point. Yeah, you did. And when I talk to the public and I, and I try to get the message across of why a healthy 25-year-old needs to social distance, you know, I try to put it into the mind of, yeah, more than likely you could catch it sometimes be asymptomatic, but you might become symptomatic and, and your body will fight this off and you'll be much better for it in the back end. But in between the incubation period and the time you get sick, you've come across so many people, including the vulnerable. And in Florida, we have a lot of vulnerable. Sometimes, um, you know, we call this a waiting room because it's a great place <laughs> to retire because the weather is amazing here most of the year. Um, so although the, the healthy 25 year old is probably going to be okay if he caught uh, COVID-19, although some aren't, who they come across with and cross contaminate is not going to be okay. And if that was your mother, your father, your grandfather, or grandmother, how would you feel about that? But on the second, on the flip side of that, you know, you talked about if your skin fell off, you know, people would take this more seriously. That, that is, that is very true. And we learned that in the early 80s when HIV AIDS came about because it only affected homosexuals. And we knew if you were a homosexual, they took that very seriously because if you had sex, you were going to die. And for the most part, I bet if you talk to those guys that are around in that time and they're prime, that they stopped that because we knew that was what was going to happen. Um, if homosexuals had, had, had sex, we did not know where it was coming from. We didn't know why it only, it only affected gay men and there was no cure and they didn't know what it was to even begin a cure. And most people end up dying. So that, that was a good point. Um, you're right because that the, the, the gay community has already been through that and they're done. Right. And yeah, like I was like, if it was more traumatic to people. I think they would take it more seriously, just like you said, with, you know, the gay population in the 80s and 90s. I mean, I didn't lose my virginity until I was 28 because I was like, if somebody bumps into me at this club, I'm going to get AIDS. So I better stay home. Or Ryan White, when he came up positive through a blood transfusion, yeah. they burned the guy's house down. Well, the let's hope nobody's burning down. people's yeah, houses down with COVID-19. But I do see them screaming at the police in the state <laughs> capitol in Michigan. So I wouldn't say burning down someone's house is off is too far gone for some people. But like, like we were saying, it's not about, it's not about you. Sometimes it's just not about you. Like you, Oh yeah, I'm healthy. I'm fine. It's about who you can give it to. And I think that is, 
what's hard for some people, because some people are so self-absorbed and egomaniacs where, oh, no, I'm fine. I'll go hang out at the beach with 30 people because we're all young and healthy. And then you go and bump into your grandmother and then your grandmother gets sick and dies. And then because, what, you wanted to go play volleyball? That bothers me. Yeah, it's a, that's a hard thing to to get across to young, healthy persons that it, it isn't about you. It's about the healthcare workers. It's about um, everyone you come across while you're out. It's, there's a lot more to this world than just you. Well, you know, that's 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 a great message. And I think it's so important when people finally learn like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not all about me. It's about just doing the right thing. And I also get frustrated. You know, I get frustrated a lot. And probably being at home does not help. No. But um, I also get, yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> but I also get frustrated when people are just like, oh, I, I don't care. I'm just going to go out or I'm not going to wear a mask. And I'm just like, oh, wait a minute. No, I, 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 got, I got off track here. What I get frustrated about is when people act like they can't just spend two months sitting at home out of the course of their entire life for the betterment of society. Like, you know, the world's not asking you to to like, just stay in your house till the end of time. But like, like it was like eight March, April, May ish, like just stay home and chill out and let this thing kind of like, so the hospitals don't get so busy and people were acting like we were asking them to, I won't even say it, but do something absurd. It's like, no, no, you're you're gonna live to probably be eighty. You can spend two months at fucking house. Oh, excuse me, I'm not supposed. I didn't want to swear with you because you're such a public official, but gets me very frustrated. Yeah, you know, um, yeah, and while you're while you're uh, quarantining at home, or you know, you're you're in the house. It's good to read up on past history because that's the only. Thing we can look back on when we're dealing with stuff like this. So, you know, remember the, the great um, the, the Dust Bowl and economic crashes and all of the things in the past. You know, people have had to stay home and, and there's nothing to do. But, you know, we, they've all gotten through it in the past. So we, we will get through this too. I was chatting with a friend a uh, cup like last week, I think, and we were talking about, I said, you know, I was like, Hey, have you ever read about the Spanish flu in 1918? And he said, no. And I said, Oh, you should, because that's why I believe. And so many professionals believe doctors, scientists believe there will be a second wave because this has happened before we are lit. We can literally go back in history and see what's going to happen. And, and this person I was talking to says, you know, history doesn't always repeat itself. I said, yeah, but th- this is different. Like, this is the same situation kind of from 19. Yes, you know, medicine is different now, but look, we're still in the houses like they were 100 years ago. Yeah. So it's not that different. Spanish flu is a is a good example, yeah. Yeah, I think I think, you know, if people like you said, you're sitting at home, what are you doing? Get off Netflix for 5 minutes and go read something that could help you understand the current situation. Yeah. I think that's a great message. Stay off Facebook, definitely stay off Facebook. That's not good for you. Oh, Facebook. No, you know, I, I finally went off Twitter because I personally believe, and I've said this so many times on the podcast, I personally believe Twitter is the devil because I don't know where the hell these people are from that go on Twitter, but it's almost like the worst humans on the planet just get a Twitter account. I don't know. I don't know. I kind of think that about, I, I think that about Facebook sometimes. 
But yeah, but with Facebook, at least it's the people that, well, it depends on who you have on your Facebook page, right? Because, you know, a lot of people, like I'll have somebody on my Facebook page and they'll be constantly writing um, um, political things about, you know, whatever. And they'll have family members and they're fighting back and forth. I'm like, oh, I got rid of all those people, honey. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did learn. Yeah. All right. You're never going to. I think the, the people on Facebook would, would um, well, I think society in general would be, would be much better probably without Facebook. But if, if people would realize you're not going to change someone's political views by a Facebook message, I think that would cut out a lot of it. But yet here we are. Well, because we, everybody thinks they, you know, oh, I know I'll be able to change their mind because I have facts or I believe, but you know, sometimes it's 2020 people don't really care. Well, I shouldn't say people because a lot of people do care about facts, but the small amount of people who don't care about facts speak the loudest. Mm, yeah. So you think that there's more of them, you know, take flat earthers, for instance, there's a small percentage of people, but damn, they're loud. Yeah. So you think, holy shit, everyone's a flat earther. Am I the only one that looks at a globe <laughs> and thinks home? <laughs> like I don't look at a piece of cardboard and think, yeah, that's my planet. <laughs> But they're so loud. But we've gone off. To, we got off subject here. I want to talk about nine one one. Have you got? Have you gotten a lot of calls since COVID nineteen has happened more than before? Um, well, no, but I think that the calls have changed. So, uh, yeah. And inter interestingly enough, the um, first resident of Florida who positive came from our county, Manatee County, and that kind of kicked things off on a Sunday evening where um, the next day I was in a, a meeting with the governor and um, we were discussing next steps. Uh, and then as the message got um, pushed out slowly, the president, if you remember, did a, um, he addressed the nation at like eight or nine o'clock at night one night. And, um, Oh, the president of the United States. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I know who that is. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> so uh, he addressed the nation like eight or, or nine o'clock one night, and um, that really changed uh, a lot of people's views on starting to take this seriously. So the next day we were off to the races, and I think heart attacks, strokes, and and everything else that nine one one and EMS typically deals with changed. Uh, took a back seat to COVID nineteen. So we had already had a plan in place when we talk about nine one one calls um, back from Ebola. Um, that if Ebola did an outbreak like COVID-19 did in the United States, we were going to start screening them through the 911 system first. So you already had that plan in place. And then once, um, you know, you get a positive resident, you know that you're going to get more. Uh, we put in um, COVID-19 screening uh, on the 911 call immediately. So once you dial 911 and they ask you where your location is, then they're going to ask you what's what is it you're calling about? And then from that point on is if it's flu-like symptoms or sick symptoms, then we're going to ask you, and we still do it today, have you been around someone with COVID-19? Do you have a fever? All of those questions so that we can get a better uh, picture of who this person is before the first responders get on scene because they have to gown up and CPE and, and they need to know what, what it is they're going into first. So, we do do COVID-19 screenings in, uh, in our 911 calls. So I don't think the volume's picked up that much. I, I think that it, it, it's pretty much um, remained the same, 
However, before COVID-19, it was the, the normal everyday stuff, heart attacks, strokes, vehicle crashes, gunshot wounds, trauma alerts, all that kind of stuff. And then that kind of switched to a COVID-19 focused call center um, with some everyday stuff mixed in there. And that's starting to, to go down a little bit, starting to wane down, and we're starting to see our normal everyday things start to pick back up. I wonder if people call in because they're just scared. I wonder if they call in, they're like, hey, I could have been around somebody. Should I be tested? Yeah, yeah, absolutely they do that. Um, one of the things uh, our local health department did was set up a call line for COVID-19. So we kind of try and push those calls over to that line, um, not an emergency line. So they, they can ask for the, the questions that they have and get answers. And as we set up drive-through um, testing sites, you know, they have to call into that line and say they have a prescription to get tested or they think they have symptoms enough to get tested. And then we put them on to an appointment. And have you guys ha in Manatee County, how many hospitals do you have there in Manatee County? Three. Three. Um, did you guys, do you know if you ran out of ventilators? Did you run out of ICU beds? Or was it always managed pretty well there in your county? For the most part, <clears throat> it was always managed pretty well. So in Florida, when you when you look at just Florida, Broward, uh, Miami-Dade, and Palm Beach were our hotspots um, from the beginning. Although the first case was here in Manatee County, Broward, Palm Beach, and um, Miami-Dade were the hotspots and still are the hotspots. So um, as they were growing exponentially, we were about two weeks behind them. So um, they're up in the thousands of cases total, and we're, we're getting up to 600 cases total. Although outside of those three counties, the hotspots, uh, Manatee County is the fourth highest in death right now. In Florida, Manatee County is the fourth highest in deaths. I wonder if that's because of um, all the old people, and I hate to say it like that, but well, we uh, yes, we attribute those a lot of those, not all of them, um, to uh, our long-term care facilities, our SNF, ALF, nurses, skilled nursing facilities. Yes, absolutely. Let's. I want to go back to the talking about the beaches for a moment. So, say the beach opens up, the beaches are open up, the weekend comes, and it's just chaotic, and no one's following social distancing, whatnot. Would you guys go back to the drawing board and say, "All right, you know what? We've got to close the beaches again," or once they're open, they're open, and then you'll just manage through whatever happens? No. So we, um, uh, the board of county commissioners, my boss and the county administrator. But we all made it clear that, you know, we take these gradual steps in opening things up, and the beaches were one of them. And, and if we noticed that, you know, they can't social distance themselves. And we think that that's a, a prime area to spread COVID-19. Then we, we can certainly close it back down again. And there'll be people, there'll be, what, police officers managing the beaches, riding along on the beaches, just telling people, hey, you guys, you know, you need to separate? Or is it kind of just like, let them do what they want to do? I'm sorry. Uh, my AirPods dropped out. What'd you say, Jeff? Oh, no, I asked. Um, so are, are there police officers, sheriff deputies on the beach? Are they going to be on the beach managing people or monitoring? Or is it going to kind of be like, they're just going to be out there doing whatever they're going to do? Well, <clears throat> Uh, for the most part, they're going to be out there doing whatever they're going to do. 
Um, we do have law enforcement out there. We have the beach patrol out there. We have code enforcement out there. And we have county staff out there that are monitoring the parking situation. Beach patrol is monitoring the beaches. And then the law enforcement portion is picking up um, illegal parking and, and traffic flow that is going out to the beach. And we get, uh, you know, flyovers and, and aerial photos all the time. So we're able to get a good picture of what the beach looks like at, at any given time. Well, that's good. Yeah, because, you know, I don't want to say I have no faith in humanity, but I mean, let's be real. But it'll be interesting to see what happens, because on the east coast of Florida, when they opened up like Jacksonville and all that, I can remember seeing the pictures and I was like, they opened the beach and within like five seconds, it was packed. And I was like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Like, (laughs) are you guys not thinking clearly through this? So um, I'll be very interested to see what happens. Yeah. What do you think, what, what are the laws right now? Or what, what is the guidelines for masks in Florida? So they're highly recommended. There's no um, law mandating anyone to wear a mask. Um, That's been tried in a couple of places in Florida and that did not go over very well. So um, all we can, uh, we could, Um, the governor could mandate masks. Um, I, I highly doubt that he is going to do that. So, you know, in our in our messaging out to our public and our community is we always recommend anytime they're out in public that they wear masks. Absolutely. You know, a couple of months ago, when this was just warming up, it was just like I, I'm, I'm it wasn't even boiling over, it was just like simmering on the stove. And you know, my past medical nursing background, I was always told you only wear a mask if you're sick. Mm-hmm. Because that's how people know people are sick. Like, oh, you have a mask on. You must be sick. Let me stay away from you or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I, re- I wrote a blog post or I wrote something on Facebook on the Flight Attendant Joe page about, listen, if you're not sick, you don't have to wear a mask. I'm not telling you not to wear one. I'm just letting you know that if you're not sick, you don't have to wear one. Well, I got verbally, I got my <laughs> ass handed to me on like several plates, right? By people who didn't even follow the page. I was like, how did you find me? But that's not the point. But now the CDC and people are coming out and saying, like, scientists and doctors, what changed? You know, I get the question a lot. Well, why do we have to wear a mask? One thing that changed was, well, first off, it it, it can't hurt, right? Um, So that's got one thing going for it right there. Uh, and you're right, and through our medical training, that's what we've always said. Um, however, when we look at masks, we look at what masks do. Um, we're really trying to stop the spread of airborne droplets. So a couple years ago, a while ago, we changed um, the protocols within EMS to protect our EMS healthcare providers. Um, if they're not on high flow two or non breather masks, but if they had a cough or could spread airborne droplets of whatever it was way before COVID-19, we did put a surgical mask on them so that um, our paramedics wouldn't pick that up. And that's kind of the same thing just in completely the complete public setting. Um, we ask you to cover your cough. Some people are good at that. Some people aren't. The best thing to do is to wear a mask so that we can limit the spread of airborne droplets going out into the public and then someone else breathing those in or catching them on themselves, um, spreading the COVID-19 disease. And then uh, the last thing that really changed 
what that looked like um, was we started to learn that some people can be asymptomatic with COVID-19. So if we told everybody, hey, you should be, you should only be wearing a mask when you're sick. Well, some of these guys or girls were, had COVID-19, but never knew it. Um, and there they are spreading their germs across everyone that they come across. So everyone should wear a mask. That, that, that's, the, uh, that's the new rule. And I like that rule. And, you know, whenever I leave the house, not like not when I go out in the parking lot or any, out in the driveway or anything, but like when I go to the store, even when I go for a hike, I bring my mask with me. If no one's around me, I'm not going to wear it. But if I see a group of like seven people walking beside me or something like that, I throw my mask on because when you wear a mask, you're protecting the person next to you. You're not specific. You're not protecting yourself. Right. Am I correct? That's correct. Yes. That's why everyone needs to wear a mask, people. So that I don't know what that sound is. Are you like wrestling with birds? I know. See, the the weather is so great in Florida. The birds are still singing. What is it? Almost eight o'clock at night here. Oh, yes, I'm in my. Back- oh, is that those are birds? Oh, yes, I'm in my backyard. I didn't know- <laughs> and for some reason, I was like, is he? Is he? Some does he get birds? Some reason he stopped right on a tree. Right, I'm like I'm trying to talk here, dude. And he's just singing away. That bird is not a that bird is not a guest on this podcast. I don't. Uh, is that your assistant? <laughs> you have an assistant. So yeah, it's important to wear masks, ladies and gentlemen, because I have this theory that we're probably going to be wearing masks for a long time. Uh, you should get into yeah. Everyone should get in. I, when I talk about COVID nineteen, and I talk about it to other people, and um politicians and anyone who's, who's got questions, this isn't going away. This is going, we're here at 2020 is COVID-19. So this will be here after the summer. It'll be here through the fall, through the winter. Even if at best projections, we get a, a vaccine, then we have to start a vaccine campaign and try to get as many people uh, vaccinated as quickly as possible. But that's in best case scenario. So, I would I would suspect that even in twenty going into twenty twenty one, COVID nineteen is, is still here to stay. Yeah, it's yeah, you're right. I don't think it's going anywhere, but we're gonna have to learn how to adjust. Like, you know, the economy can't stay closed forever. So you people are really gonna have to take this seriously. And you know, you know, when restaurants start opening, when grocery store department stores or whatnot starts opening, you're gonna have to wear a mask so that people can go back to work and we can live, but we can also try to be as safe as possible, I guess. Yep. I mean, that's how I think. Start, start ordering your um, pretty bedazzled mask now. Takes about a month to make them, I guess. So. <laughs> Listen, I have like how, three, six, nine. I have nine masks by pattybigs.com. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, sh- I am set for a while. Like I said, Matt, come in here, pick out your Patty Biggs. Don't leave the house without it. I call We call it the Patty Biggs. Okay. I call it the Patty Biggs. He just stares at me like I'm a lunatic. Jake, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Next time I come on, I'll have a, I'll have a drink. I feel like I, I'm tired. Oh, I, yes. I'm kind of boring. I feel like I've just been like one of those other talking heads. So next time I'll have a drink. Well, no, this, this, this is a, this is kind of a, kind of, this is kind of a serious topic. So, you know, we can't get crazy, crazy, but 
I do have one personal, not personal question, but I do have a question for you because I know you. Do you miss working on the ambulance ever? Yeah, absolutely. Um, although 90% of the ambulance work is um, really just picking up someone, not doing much for them and taking them to end uh, destinations such as the hospital. The 10% um, is full of adrenaline, it's innovating people and defibrillating people and pushing on the drugs and saving someone's life. And you, you never, I don't think paramedics really ever, as they move on through their career, that doesn't go away. So. No. You probably have you probably have thoughts of, oh, wow, that's so exciting. I miss that. Oh, I have to be on for 24 hours and not be in my own bed. I'm good. Yeah, I don't miss that one bit is the, the 24-hour show work. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Jake. I really appreciate um, this conversation, and you taught me a few things. So I um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm honored because you, like, interview with serious people, and then you come on this ridiculous <laughs> podcast. So thank you so yeah, much. I fun. really appreciate it. It was fun. Thank you. All right. Take care. Bye. You're welcome. Be safe. Okay. Hey, Corey. Welcome to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Joe? I am fantastic. Now, I just want to let you know that the lawnmower guys just showed up at the moment that I hit the record button. So at some point, <laughs> you may hear some weird noise. It's not me. I, you know, I don't have gas or anything. It's just the lawn guys. I said, can you do the back first? And he was like, well, we like to start up front. And I was like, well, now you sound like a bunch of my friends. <laughs> so, oh my this will make it interesting of course you're on the grounded with flight attendant joe podcast it's definitely going to be interesting so please introduce yourself to everyone listening and tell them what you do so my name's Corey. i'm a registered nurse um i've been a nurse for over 14 years now um and i currently work in a urgent care equivalent kind of healthcare setting um, and I'm actually a manager, so I'm overseeing a bunch of the frontline nurses, um, techs, um, that are helping take care of patients these days. So that's very exciting because I want to talk to you about what's it like working in that environment? Because an urgent care is almost like an emergency room. It's like one level below. Am I correct? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you know, we don't have ambulances bringing us patients, but we have a lot of sick patients still coming through the front doors. You know, thinking they maybe have COVID or even with heart attacks or stroke-like symptoms. So we see all kinds of things at that, where I'm at. What part of the country do you live in? Just so that I can think, I can focus on where you're at. Sure. So I'm on the East Coast here um, in Maryland, actually. Maryland. Okay, okay. So in, in Maryland right now, is there a law that you have to wear a mask whenever you go in a building or they don't have that um, going on right now? Yeah, so we're actually um, still on lockdown, if you will. So please don't visit Maryland. You're not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> I have a joke in there about who's going to visit Maryland even when there isn't a pandemic. But, oh, I said it. Never mind. Never mind. Never. <laughs> but go ahead. I apologize. So, yes, everybody has to wear a mask out in public when you go into any kind of uh, establishment, whether it's grocery stores. Into the, I know in our building, you know, you have to have a mask on before you come in the front door as well. If not, we do provide them, obviously, because we're in a healthcare setting. But 
um, pretty much everywhere you go, that's the new norm. You know, when I go to the doctor's office, they have masks on the, not now, but just pre-COVID-19, you'd walk in and they would say, if you if you're coughing, you need to wear one of these masks. But now, no matter what, when you walk in, you need to be wearing a mask. And if you don't have one, you guys are going to give them one. Is that correct? Yep, that's correct. Because it's about protecting not just yourself, but protecting others around. Um, and as I'm sure many of you know, right now you can be walk around and have but have COVID and not even know it. So that's the whole point behind the masking. Right, because there's so you know, I'm still surprised. I shouldn't be surprised, right? But I'm still surprised that people want to fight the idea of wearing a mask, and they just don't understand that they are protecting the people around them. And then if the other people around them are wearing a mask, they're protecting them. It's like, it's like wearing pants when you go out to the store so that your dingling's not flying around. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's baffling to me uh, when you look at the news and you have you know, the leaders of the country saying, I will not wear a mask. Well, it's not about you. It's about everybody else. <laughs> oh, my God. Did you see that one pit? You know what? I don't want to get political. I'm not going to get political, but I am going to say this. That photo of Mike Pence at the, I think it was the Mayo Clinic, where everyone in the room is wearing a mask but him. I think that photo is going to follow him for a very long time. It's one of those things where you should have thought before you went into the building. Yeah, so that's one of those that is kind of that that really burns me, so to speak, because as a healthcare worker, uh, the Mayo Clinic is one of those instances that sees the sickest of the sickest. And for somebody like that to just disregard and it's, you know, not even to wear a mask, it's like you feel so bad and terrible for the other patients. Um, because even somebody with a, you know, that level of whatever you want to call it, um, they too can be a carrier whether they don't realize it or not. So right. it's just, it's frustrating when people just don't want to do what they're asked to do. Well, we, yes, I, I agree. I'm like, just put on a mask, just wear them. It's not going to kill you to wear a mask if you're out in public. But the thing about Pence and this, and then after I'll change the subject is what he said after, well, I get tested a lot. I'm fine. Um, ladies and gentlemen and leaders of the world, it's not only about you. Yeah. Yeah. So have you, so in the urgent care, you said you were a manager, am I correct? Correct. Now, do you have contact with patients, or do you mostly oversee just the nurses and the the staff? So I I don't have to do any direct patient care, you know, unless you know shit hit the fan. But um, you know, we're frequently rounding throughout the unit to check on the staff. Um, also, we're kind of the gatekeepers of the PPE, so the masks um, that help protect them. So we uh, we are still very much tracking and who we give, what we give them um, to conserve PPE for the most critical cases. So um, I'm in the in the thick of it, if you will, because I am on the unit. It's not like I'm tucked away in an office with no contact with anybody. So every day I go to work, there is a risk for me just as well, even being a manager. Now, I, I, I'm sure you wear a mask when you're there, too. Yes. Yes. It's, now, Like I said, it is required. It is required. That's good. Now, when do now have you noticed 
a lot of people coming into the urgent care or calling in who think they have symptoms or have symptoms? Have you seen an uprise in um, patients coming into the urgent care? Yeah, so we, we have, we certainly have, um, but we do, uh, we actually screen everybody outside of the building before they can get into the building. We have temporary setups um, that consist of tents and trailers outside. If somebody has any symptoms of COVID, then we stop right there and they get screened outside first. Um, if they're sick enough, then we'll have them come into the building into a treatment room. If they're not truly sick enough, um, we'll do drive-up testing, usually depending on okay. what time of the day they come. We have certain hours of the day we'll do drive-up testing. So either they'll get tested later that day or usually the next day a lot of times. We'll have them come back and swab them for the test. So is it only drive-up testing or can people be tested inside? Or they don't even come inside unless they're tested? How does that work? So we are, we are not, currently, we are not testing anybody inside the building. All of our testing is done outside. Um, in a, like I said, either in the drive-up, so typically in a car or in a tent, sitting in a tent. Um, because once you're indoors and you do that, just can create a lot more exposure to everybody else around them. Um, we are looking for the future of different kinds of testing that they keep coming out with that we might eventually do indoor testing, if you will, but right now everything's done outside for the testing piece. Um, otherwise, if they need oxygen, they need IV fluids, they need, you know, medications, you know, they come inside all the sooner in the natural, you know, exam room treatment room. Do they need a doctor's note to get tested or is it if they're there and they're showing symptoms, it's just automatic? So it's all done by a doctor's order. So whether it's our doctor or okay. if they come from another physician that refers them, as long as they have an order to be tested, they can get that completely where I'm at. That's yeah. That now do um, is it your staff that's doing the testing or is it um, un, like other people doing the testing? Nope. It, it's our nurses. The nurses oh, are the ones yes. doing all the swabbing. Yep. The doctors are not doing the testing. No, so the nurses are the ones, your nurses are out there all, you know, in their universal precautions, and they're the ones doing this thing. Mm -hmm. how, how is their level of anxiety and stress during that? Because that sounds stressful. You know, at first, I think it was more stressful for them, just not knowing, but because we've been doing this for since the middle of April, so almost a month now, um, as a nurse, you know, you just kind of roll with it. Um, you know, kind of part of the job is what a lot of us will tell you. It's part of the job. It's what we do. Um, so it's really not so bad anymore because they have the N95s. They have the gaps. They have the face shield to protect them. You know, so as long as they have those supplies to keep them protected, they feel comfortable doing what they have to do. Well, that's good. Do they... Um how do they get assignments? Like, how do you say, all right, today, Janice, you're the one going outside. And Janice is like, fuck, I don't want to be out there, but all right. <laughs> so, you know, interesting enough, there, there's some of them, they, they prefer to have that assignment to be the, as we call it, the swab nurse. The swab um, nurse. Because they're just swabbing, yeah, swabbing, swabbing noses all day long. So, um, but otherwise it's rotated. But no matter what assignment room you have, that you're getting there's some level of exposure every day. So oh, okay. And how long does it take for the test to come back? I don't know that. I don't know the answer to that. So 
So where I currently am, it's we're down to about a two-hour turnaround. Oh. We are hoping to get within the next week or so um, 30 minutes. Okay. You know, at first it was days, um, up to seven to ten days, actually, when we first, you know, got up and running. Um, but as time went on and more testing became available, we're down to about a two-hour turnaround time now. Okay. And so they get swabbed, and then they come inside and go into a room, and then do they sit there for a couple hours and wait for the results? No. So actually, anybody that does the test up driving, they literally get swabbed, and they go back home to self-quarantine themselves. Um, oh. And then we'll call with results. So the only ones that are going to come inside and truly get treatment are those that have a low oxygen level, um, need IV fluids, you know, if they have other underlying symptoms, chest pain, et cetera, then you get, you know, a chest pain workup, blood work, uh, the whole nine yards. Right, because there's so many people that don't even have symptoms. I know a flight attendant that I work with, he was positive for COVID-19. He spent two weeks at home making stupid videos for Instagram. And I'm like, there are people dying with COVID-19 and you're at home dressed up in a chipmunk yeah. costume. So <laughs> it's, it's crazy. So yeah, the, yeah. I'm glad, yeah, it's yep. crazy. Yep. That's the thing. I mean, I keep telling myself I already have it and I just don't have it and I just don't know it. Um, in fact, we'll soon be getting the antibody testing and, um, it'll be interesting to see if they offer that to the employees or not, since we're all kind of in the midst of it. One of those things I kind of would like to know, but that's not going to change anything, but just one of those things to know, did you work in it? Were you exposed enough to actually have it and not even realize you had it? Right. Because there's just so much unknown with this. That's the whole thing that as a healthcare worker, it's just like got our heads spinning like, what the heck? You know, in December, my husband and I went on a camping trip um, down to Texas. And uh, on Christmas Day, we had to, like, postpone our camping trip for one, like, for a 24-hour period. We had to get get a hotel room because my husband was running a fever and he was sick and he just slept the entire day. And then like the next day he was kind of fatigued a little, but we continued on our trip. We actually cut the trip short. I think there's a possibility he had the 19. You're right. He had the Rona. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I don't remember having any fever or anything like that. And I don't know if I'm high risk. You know, I have high blood pressure. I'm chubby. <laughs> I say chubby. I, I could have said fat, but it's my podcast, so I'm not going to insult myself. But I remember, and when all this started coming up, I said to him, I said, I wonder if you had it, because, you know, he's he's younger, he's healthier, and, um, and I want him, I would be so curious if he took that antibody test to see if he had had it then. Yeah, it's possible. I don't know, um, out in the Midwest or wherever, but I know recent in the uh, news, Quest Diagnostics, which is a pretty, I think, widespread big company, um, is offering uh, antibody testing with no doctor's orders, but you do have to pay out of pocket. Um, I think when I read the article, it's like $119. Um, you could just make an appointment with them and go get uh, tested for antibodies. So I don't know if that's available where you're located, but um, it is something I've seen here on the, the East Coast. Yeah, that's something um, that I'm going to probably push him to do. I don't know if I need to do it because, well, you know, if he had it and I live with him, there's a possibility that I could have had it too. I mean, I don't know. Is, Absolutely. Does, does it happen Absolutely. where one one person gets it and the other person in the house doesn't? I don't know. 
Well, you know, that, that's the question, right? But, you know, his, history shows me that, you know, one person in the house can get the flu and others don't get the flu. Um, you know, it's, so it's very possible that somebody that in close proximity, one can get it, doesn't, the other one doesn't necessarily get it. But like, you know, it's just, you can be asymptomatic and still have it and just not known. And that's what I think is making it so widespread and deadly to those that those around us. Because you're walking around like that flight attendant that I work with. He had no symptoms. I was like, how are you feeling? He's like, oh, I'm fine. I'm like, how bizarre hmm. is this virus? It's so crazy. And that's why I cannot emphasize enough to wear a mask. I don't care if you are as fit as a fiddle and you're 22. If you go to Target or you do something, wear a mask. It's so simple. It's easy. And they, and yeah. they're adorable now. You can get them in anything, any type of mask. Just wear a mask. Yep. So something's better than nothing. You know, you read so many different things, cloth masks, little, little, very little protection, but something's better than nothing at this stage of the game until we really find out more about it you know, the treatments that are going to really work with it. And it'll be interesting to see how long this plays out. I know. I think it's going to be a while. I don't want to depress everyone listening, <laughs> but you better get some books and crossword puzzles. Cause it could be a while. <laughs> now I want to go back to the urgent care. How has yeah. your, how has your stock been on the, um, the PPE, did you guys run low? Were you, were your nurses having to reuse things? Tell me about that. So we're actually pretty uh, fortunate. Um, we have no critical shortages at this time where I'm, look, where I'm looking. Um, but, you know, it's, again, we are, we do have the PPE police, as we say, because we don't want people just wasting or not using it if it's truly not necessary. Um, because we don't know how long we're going to be in this uh, this mode, if you will. So right now we're good, knock on wood. Um, and you know the the supply chain folks they're constantly looking to buy from wherever we can buy. That. But it is um, it's a tough world out there right now. Um, kind of being able to to um, ascertain a lot of these things, you know. Um, I know we've done some local trades with other organizations and facilities that furlough and downs, and we have extra masks or whatever, some kind of a barter system because that's just the way it's gone. Do the nurses wear N95 masks or just the same masks that are handed out to patients at the door? So we have three different kinds of masks. So we have it's called a level one and a level two, which is just your typical looking blue or yellow kind of face mask that you see in the pictures. Folks that come in the door, you get what's called a cover your cough mask. So it's the lowest level of protection. The other frontline staff that aren't um, saying for the COVID patients are wearing a level two mask, which is what I wear all, all day long as well. Um, that helps with droplets uh, precautions. So the masks are made to prevent droplet precaution, droplet um, transmission. So that's what everybody has to wear, at least a droplet, as far as the healthcare workers. And then if you're truly caring for a suspected uh, COVID patient or a positive patient, you're wearing an N95 with a droplet mask over top of that, plus your face shield, your gown, your gloves, the whole nine yards. And then you pray to Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, uh, yeah, mm -hmm. true. Have you had any high-level COVID-19 sick patients present 
themselves at your urgent care? Absolutely. We have. Um, and when they're super sick like that, we, we 911 them to the, the closest hospital, um, ones that are potentially going to need intubation. Um, is the big thing that we're worried about. We get them out immediately to the, the nearest hospital. I'm amazed how people, so my past life, I was a nurse and I worked in an urgent care in um, Bradenton, Mm -hmm. Florida. And it was one of my, it was one of the funnest jobs I had because you didn't have to work all night long. There wasn't like the third shift at this urgent care, but we just seemed to have a lot of fun. And, but I can remember when people would come in and they were almost on like death's door. And I was like, this is where you came. This is like the doctor's office. (laughs) <laughs> like if I'm having a heart attack, I'm yeah. not going to the doctors. I'm going to the emergency room. So that's, I'm, I shouldn't be surprised about that. No, no, you should not be. Cause that it's the same, no matter where you're at, where you're located, the same things happen everywhere. They just go to where they're used to going or where they're comfortable going. And, or they think that, Oh, I'm not so bad until they're like, Oh shit, you need to get somewhere else. And oh, tell 911 and, Ship them out. That makes sense. Because people, I think, I don't want to speak in hyperbole, but a lot of people, they they live in denial of what's happening with their health, mm-hmm. right? It's like, yeah. oh, I can't have yep. cancer, so I'm just not even going to go get checked. Oh, I have a lump? Eh, it's probably nothing. I'm fine. So that actually makes sense. Yeah. So it, I could see somebody yeah. like 85% oxygen walking in, they're running a fever for three days, they're coughing up blood, and they're like, no, I think I'm okay. I just want to get checked. You're like, yep. no, that you're going in exactly an ambulance. In Colorado, well, in the Denver area, I don't know if you've ever heard about this, but in Co- where we live, and I've never seen this, we have emergency rooms, legit emergency rooms that are not even connected to hospitals. So yeah. we have we have urgent cares, mm-hmm. we have these emergency rooms that are just a building, and then we have the hospital. And when you go into the emergency room, I don't know, building clinic that's not attached to hospital, you're admitted into the hospital. They give you a bracelet. It, I had, had have you heard of that before? So yeah, funny you say that. So I previously worked in that setting. We call them freestanding ERs here in Maryland. Um, so I manage the freestanding ER within my lab five years, actually. Um, so we have the full capabilities of any ER. You come in, if you're that super sick patient, we can intubate you, we can do everything. You know, we can put you on any kind of drip you need. Um, but we're, we're affiliated with a sister hospital that right. was, you know, less than 10 miles away. So then you're, you're officially admitted into the hospital. But again, that involves transport via ambulance from point A to point B, but it's all within the same system. Um, so yeah, no, we have those here in the state of Maryland. I think we have five, we call them freestanding ERs. So a much higher level of care, um, than you would get say where I currently am, but, um, also where I currently am, we're open 24 hours a day. Oh, well, you um, are. Oh, okay. So it's a 24 yeah. hour urgent yeah. care. Wow. I didn't know those exist. Yeah. yeah I had never heard of that because in Florida, we didn't, I, where I lived, I'd never seen one of those. And in California, we didn't have these freestanding emergency rooms and I drove by it and I was like, what is that? And my husband's like, it's an ER. And I'm like, no, it's not. And then I had to look it up and I'm like, oh shit, mm-hmm. it is. It's a real emergency room. Yeah. Like that's where I'm going to go if I start yeah. having a heart attack and it's only like three blocks away. Well, yeah. Cause it's, that's the thing when I worked there, um, you know, because there was an ER where we would transport our patients, people would come to us for ER kind of things because they knew they could get right in the door and right in the room 
and get the exact, and our doctors worked at both locations, the nurses worked at both locations. So if you're smart enough, you're going to go to where you know it's usually not busy, you can get right in and get seen immediately. What is the average age group of people that are coming in presenting with COVID-19 symptoms? You know, I, I don't know exactly for us, but, you know, it is, I can tell you, there's a wide range. We've had kids under the age of 10 in with it, and we have, you know, the middle-aged folks as well as, you know, the 60 to 80 plus range. It's, it's truly every age group. It, it's it's really not isolated. I think it's a pretty wide mix, but I don't know exactly from my, my office what we're, the average is, but all I can say is it doesn't matter how young or how old you are your your fair game right you know with a virus it's gonna it's it doesn't care how old you are you know and that's the whole thing when this first started when this was just simmering it hadn't bubbled over yet when it was just simmering you know you would see all these 22 year olds and 23 year olds like i'm fine i'll be fine look at me my shirt's off and i'm playing volleyball on the beach it's spring break and i was like you douchebags yep. and then uh two weeks later they're on an in or in a ventilator at the hospital. Right. There was this one chick, and I don't know her name. I don't know who she is. She might be like an Instagram celebrity. I could care less. But she she had been one of those people that was like, look at me. I'm young and pretty, and I'm healthy, and I don't have to worry. And then the bitch almost died. And then she had to come back and say, be careful. And I was like, see? That mm-hmm. makes – I didn't mean to call her a bitch. No, I think I did. No, I did. And um, <laughs> like, oh, well, that's – I call everybody a bitch. But it's like be responsible for for your actions. Don't think that you're immune. And what kind of person thinks they're immune to a virus and doesn't care about the other people around them in the world? That really bothers me. Absolutely. I'm right with you there. Yeah. I just don't get it. I don't get it. You know, I, I'll be honest. At first, you know, in like January, I was like, yeah, I don't know if this is such a big deal. But then, you know, come March into April, and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> right. But that's, I think that's different than saying, I'm healthy and I'm fine and I won't, I don't care. I don't care about if I get, right. if I, if I am carrying it and I don't get sick, but I give it to my grandmother and then she dies. Like, that's basically kind of what I think, you know, that's kind of the message I take. If you're somebody who's like, I'm not wearing a mask, I don't care. I think, oh, you don't care about anybody. Right. It's like you, you know, you're responsible. It's almost like vehicular manslaughter, like when you're under the influence, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you could be out there killing people. Like, think about it. Yeah, it. I don't, you know, I'm so confused. Well, I shouldn't be confused, but, you know, I see these people that are out protest. I have this theory that if you're, if you're not social, di- I know this is not going to go over well when I say this out loud to, for people, but, um, you know me, I don't care. I have this thing, like, if you, if you refuse to social distance, if you're going to protests, if you're in groups of 50 and 60 and you get sick, you should just deal with it yourself. Don't be trying to take one of my ventilators. Sit your, yeah. Yeah. There there should be a thing like when you show up for the protest here, you need to sign this form that when, and if you get COVID-19, your ass does not go to the fucking emergency room. There you go. Sign right here, sir. It would be interesting to see how many of those folks would be willing to do that. You know, I hear what you're saying. I, mean, I would really like to know how many of them are willing to put that 
put their name on that dotted line just uh Right. Well, they, of course, of course they wouldn't. And I understand you know, you, you're one of Florence Nightingale's friends. So, you know, you took your oath and you're going to take care of people sick, no matter what, even they could try to stab you. And then when they get shot, you're going to jump in and probably save them because it's in your DNA. But I just had that thought, like, look at you guys out here acting like fools. All the world is asking you to do is sit at home for a couple months out of your entire life, you know, read a book, watch some Netflix or something. And for, and if they end up getting it, I have this thought of, well, I mean, you get what you get. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. Yeah, not at all. Not at all. No, I'm not. Now, have you had any of your staff positive for COVID-19? We have, we've had, oh. we've had several throughout. Um, yeah. Like you said, it's, it's the inevitable. Um, we knew it was going to happen and it's going to continue to happen. But, you know, luckily so far, everybody's recovered well. So that's the good, oh, that's the good. good news behind it. So you haven't lost any employees to COVID-19? No, that's, oh. that's, the, that's the part that we dread to even think about. Um, and, you know, we just hope for the best. That's all you can really do right now is when we know somebody's out there, we just right. hope that they recover and get back, get back with us. Well, if this is around for a scary. long time, yeah, it's scary. It is scary. If this is around for a long time, there's a high probability that a lot of us are going to get it or have had it already and didn't even know. Well, that's the thing right now that it's like, if you've had it, you know, can you get it again? Supposedly they say, no, nah, probably not, but that's not, you know, there's no science to prove just yet. That's true. And um, I just kind of wonder, like, are we going to be wearing masks? For, for years to come now, like, uh, I mean, oh, so until they truly get a vaccine, right, until they get a vaccine that we can prove is truly going to work, you know, there's tons of trials in the, the, the country or even in the world doing all these trials on vaccines, but until we know if it works and then until they can mass produce enough to get them, you know, widely spread, and then, you know, there's still those people that are anti-vaccine, so if they don't want to take their vaccine, and then there's enough of them, they right. just continue to spread. Oh, yeah, because there's, be there's people that, there's still anti-vaxxers out there that probably still won't take this vaccine when it comes available. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not going anywhere, but we're just going to have to learn how to maneuver around it around it and still continue to live. I'm glad you brought up masks though, because I am on this kick where I truly believe that masks will be around for the unforeseeable future. Like I see this going on for a while and I have this debate and I've talked about it throughout this entire podcast with all the other guests that were on. I have this debate with a friend of mine who's like, no, that's not, that's not going to happen. I'm like, I don't know. I think it's going to come down to the people who take this really seriously will be wearing masks and people who don't really care won't be. But I don't see masks going away anytime soon. I'm right with you. I, I, I don't think so either. But you don't know. I guess, you know. If, now, here's, a, you know, if, here's a good question. Wearing if, a mask for hours on end is not fun. I'll tell you that right now. What was that? You broke up. I didn't hear you. Um, wearing a mask for hours on end is not fun. Like, you're just, you're hot. It's oh, like yeah. you can't, the, the breathing in those masks for 8 to 12 hours, 
it sucks. I won't lie. It sucks. But it's, you know, it's what we got to do. Now, do you wear a mask when you go out in public? Like if you go to the store? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Well, it's still mandated in Maryland, so it's not worth, uh, I don't know what the fine is these days, but yeah. Let me ask you one final question. If the news came on today, because, you know, things are changing so quickly, you know, like you just said, today we have to wear masks. Next week they could say we don't have to or whatnot. If the news came on tomorrow and said you don't have to wear masks anymore, would you stop wearing one or would you still wear one? No, I would still wear one. You know, I joked with my partner and said, you know, when they open up the gyms and everything else, we're going to wait at least two weeks or four weeks to see how many people get sick before we to try it so we'll let them be the guinea pigs uh, right oh my god my husband and i say the same thing we're like when the world opens back up we're just gonna sit by sit around for a month and watch what happens um yeah i don't yeah. need to go to a restaurant that bad or i got lord knows i need a pedicure before i'm, I'm gonna be hanging upside down from the tree in the backyard but you know i'm still not gonna go for that either like i'm gonna wait I want to see what happens because I'm one of those people that have read about the Spanish flu and I've seen history repeat itself before. And what happened when they started relaxing, everything was the spike went up really high, worse the second time than the first. So I have no desires to just run out to the Olive Garden and sit amongst 50 people having all you can eat breadsticks. No, thank you. No, thank you. I'm right with you. Sit back. If, if my advice would be to just sit back and wait and see what happens. Yeah. Give us some time. Um, I mean, I, I'm used to I'm used to this lifestyle right now. So, what's another month or so to, to keep on doing what we're doing? Right. I've given up on 2020. I'm just like, well, this year's oh, this year's over. O v a h. So I'm just looking for 2021. I'm done. <laughs> Corey, thank you for calling yeah. in. I really appreciate you talking to me. Um, please be Absolutely. safe out there, and um, you take care of yourself. You do the same. It was good talking to you, Joe. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Everybody, we have Sarah on. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you for calling in. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Sorry, I'm sipping my coffee because we're recording this episode earlier than my brain normally works. So I have to get some fuel in me. But please let everyone know who you are and what you do and 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 where you, what state you live in. That's important. Um, so I live in North Carolina right now. I have been a nurse for um, almost eight years. Um, I did right now I'm doing orthopedic nursing. So I work on a, in a hospital on a floor, uh, with orthopedic patients. So people who have had hip replacements, knee replacements, shoulder replacements, and then fractures, uh, that kind of thing. People who have fallen, spinal surgeries, that, that sort of thing. I did four years as a travel nurse. I went around the country, worked at lots of different hospitals of varying sizes, big hospitals, little hospitals. Um, on all sorts of different floors. But my main background is with orthopedic nursing, um, but I have done medical surgical. I worked on a renal floor, uh, that sort of thing. But I'm happy to be here and talk about my current experiences. 
Yeah, and that's and that's what this episode is. It's healthcare workers during COVID nineteen. And you just um, brought up that you had been a travel nurse. Do you have some comfort comfort now during this pandemic, being being in one spot instead of having to be traveling around the country? Do you ever think of that? Do you think, oh wow, I'm I'm glad I'm in this spot right now? Oh yeah, I think I'm really grateful to be where I am at this moment in time. I because I have done nursing outside of Seattle and in San Francisco and I am thankful to be where I am right now. I on the one hand you'd like to help out where you can, but there's some security in knowing that you're safe and you're not being you're not working in a hard hit area and um, I've got some normalcy to my life that a lot of people don't have right now. And my overall things have changed at work, but my overall life hasn't been dramatically changed like it has for other people who live and work in different careers. Now, how, how has your life changed at work right now during the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, what's really interesting is when this first started changing things in hospitals and you started knowing that things were going to change within the government and um, things were getting serious is work was kind of the most normal place to go at first because things were changing in the outside world, but everything was very normal at work. We were still doing surgeries. I still go in for my scheduled shifts, but uh, as things started to get more serious, we cut back on elective surgeries. And so our census dropped. People weren't coming into the emergency room like you would normally see. So the entire hospital census is much lower. So we were getting canceled or called off um, much more frequently than we normally would be. But going to work was kind of comforting because it was some normalcy. And then as things started to progress and they canceled the surgeries, uh, we were now required to wear face masks and with every interaction with all of our patients. and that's something that has changed. You generally, we want to be wearing face masks uh, with just normal people who aren't really sick, and it's a little uh, it's it's a little jarring because we are having to reuse our same face masks for several different shifts. And that's that was something that I definitely wanted to talk to you about was the PPE equipment. Now. Do you live in a big city, a small city? How many beds are at your hospital? I estimate about 200 bed hospital. It's, it's a decent size for a community hospital. Okay. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a small town, but it's a, it is a decent sized hospital for the area that it's in. Now, did you guys struggle with um, equipment and PPE and running out of masks? You, you mentioned that you'd have to reuse them. How often was that? So it is ever evolving. <laughs> we hear different things every week. At first, they sent out an email saying that we had plenty of masks, plenty of PPE. We've done a really good job stocking up. You don't have to worry. But then you're hearing things outside of the hospital and the news and surrounding areas about the national shortage. And um, you're thinking, well, this eventually is going to have to affect us. And um, then you get another email the next week saying that we're requiring everybody to wear masks at all times and uh, with patient care and that we're going to have to reuse the same mask for five shifts. So 
the first time I saw that they had brought around these paper bags for us to put our masks in, that was kind of shocking because I saw that before I had heard what they were for. And I was like, you can't be serious, right? We're not actually going to stick our masks in here and reuse them. Because <laughs> that's, that's a big <laughs> no-no is what you're, from what you're taught. <laughs> right, right. So, <laughs> so then, then every week something changes and something is new. So like when they, when you first started hearing about COVID and they were recommending N95 masks and there's a shortage on N95 masks. And, and then the next week they'll send out an email saying that, well, you don't actually have to wear an N95 mask unless you are anticipating that you're going to come into contact with sputum or doing something that they're going to aerosolize sputum. So just wear a regular mask, you'll be fine. Um, but it seems like the rules tend to change depending on availability of equipment, which um, doesn't seem like that should be the case, but it is what it is. And I think everybody is just trying to do the best that they can at the moment to keep everybody safe. Now, are you at this point now, do you still have to reuse masks or have they gotten enough supply in at this point? Oh, no, we're still reusing masks. It has changed. So it was one mask for five shifts. And now they have given us three masks to rotate. And we're still supposed to use each of those masks for five shifts. But will you wear like mask A for one day, mask B the second day and mask mm. three the third or mask B the third day um, and just kind of rotate those masks. So because they, they've said that the virus only lives for so many hours. So if you are working multiple shifts in a row, then it, least you're giving it more time to die in between uses. You know, it sounds so crazy to think that they're like, here's three masks. You just need to reuse them all the time. In my mind, I immediately start thinking of, well, God, would I use needles on the same people? And I know it's not the same, right. but it in your mind, you still think, you know, you wear it and you throw it out or you wear it for one time. And so that just creeps me out. <laughs> well, it's kind of the same because if you had thought about this before all this came about, you, you wouldn't be thinking like, there's no way I'm going to be using this between multiple patients or multiple shifts. Right. Like in January, if they would have said, come April and May, you're going to be re reusing the same masks over and over. You got, you'd be like, ha, stop it. No, that's not even possible. Right. This is something that we would have gotten fined for before, but now the government's recommending it. Well, it reminds me of TSA now that they're like, you can bring in 10 gallons of sanitizer. I'm like, but I couldn't bring 10 gallons of water in. Stop picking, right. stop picking and choosing. So you have 200 beds. You work on the orthopedic floor in your hospital. Have you seen any, co have you heard of any COVID-19 patients in your hospital? Yeah, we have had quite a few. So our floor, uh, which is just the, just an orthopedic floor and it's kind of separated from the rest of the hospital. It was, it used to be a long-term care floor that was converted to the orthopedic floor. So it is a little bit separate still in the building, but it's a little bit separate and um, it's got its own ventilation system. So they have actually turned our floor into the COVID unit and just placed us up onto the medical surgical unit. So we are not currently using our floor as an orthopedic unit. Oh, so okay. They, so they're trying to keep the orthopedic nurses with the orthopedic patients. So it has worked out in my favor. So they, while I could go down there and work, I haven't had to yet, but we have had multiple cases in the hospital, but I haven't worked yet this week. And when I worked last week, I think there were only a couple of cases 
at the moment. So I'm hoping that it stays low and maybe we'll get to go back to our floor eventually. But I haven't actually had to care for any, but um, a lot of my coworkers have, and okay. it's definitely out and about. So do they, so they are using the ortho unit as the COVID-19 unit now. Now, are there specific nurses that work it all the time or could you float, could you be floated down there? Which floated means yeah. they just move you to another unit because they need you there. Yeah, I could, I could float down there and my coworkers have floated down there, but just because they're trying to keep the orthopedic nurses at the surgeon's request with the orthopedic patients, I've, I've been lucky enough that I haven't been required to, but it's definitely a possibility. And they've just kind of been, it's kind of been a shared staffing pool from the hospital. So there's not just one unit that's staffing the COVID unit right now. It's just kind of taking turns. Oh, okay. Now, um, you know, when this all happened, everyone had to relearn how to wash their hands, which I find to be hilarious. Like it takes a pandemic to teach people to wash their hands. But have you guys had to go through additional like universal precaution training in the hospital? Like, okay, now on a normal day, this is what you do, but because of COVID-19, this is what you do now. Not really. Cause we, that's kind of drilled to drilled into us on a daily basis, just to wash our hands and use universal precautions and, between patients. So, and I don't think they've really had time to focus on something as basic as that just because so much is changing all the time that they're trying to get us new information. So I'm definitely reinforcing it, but not, not special training, just kind of also monitoring when we, when we were still having visitors in the hospital, just monitoring the visitors as well and be like, you need to wear a mask or you need to make sure you're washing your hands when you leave the room or we'd have patients or we'd have visitors that were coming and they would wear N95 masks or gloves, and they weren't changing their gloves. And we'd have to say something to them, excuse me, you need to take off your gloves or change them every time you come out of the room. You can't just walk around with the gloves on. That's not doing anybody oh, any God. good. That, um. that will set me <laughs> off into a frenzy of of anger because I have seen that right. so many times where they're just wearing the, I was in my recurrent training in March and one of the flight attendants, we were allowed to wear masks and gloves if we wanted. And this one chick was wearing gloves all day. And then when I saw her washing the gloves, like she was washing her hands, I couldn't hold it in anymore. And I was like, <laughs> you know, that does nothing. And she just looked at me funny. And I was just like, yeah, I just have to say that does nothing. Just get new gloves. Right. Why? What's even the point? If you're just going to, wear the same pair all day long why even bother or when i would see these there was yeah, one family member crazy. that would come in and she would wear an n95 mask and it was so poorly fitting and i think for one thing why are you wearing an n95 mask you should not have this right now there's such a shortage so why are you coming in when we can't even get them and you're wearing it and they have to be fitted and this was just loose all around and she was so nitpicky about like when she would wear it or when she wouldn't wear it. She wasn't wearing it all the time. So why, why even bother? She would just, sometimes she would come out and she would pull it down on her chin and she'd be talking to us. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> I, sorry, I had the mic mute button on because I, like I said, I'm not awake yet. <laughs> I'm over here talking away and I'm like, wait a minute, hit the mute button, Joe. Um, now what in North Carolina, what's the law for wearing masks do you have to wear a mask is it mandatory when you go anywhere or it's just up to you 
I don't think that it's mandatory yet. They are definitely recommending it, and you see it in a lot of different stores. Most, oh, well, I don't mean to say most people. It depends on the store, but a lot of people are wearing masks. Mm-hmm. But um, I still see quite a few people that aren't, and okay. it's usually it's usually younger people, but. It's also dependent on the store. I see it more in the grocery store. I'll see more people wearing masks. And um, if you go to like Lowe's, not so much. Right. Now, are you guys making patients wear masks or is that just not even important? Uh, The patients do get a mask when they're being transported um, anywhere between rooms or floors. And they get to keep a mask. So if they have staff coming in they can they can choose to have the mask on okay or if their room is if their door is left open i think their text is supposed to have the mask on but when they're in their room alone they don't have to wear it now you were talking about n95 masks and i don't think people understand that there's a certain way to wear a mask. I, I laugh because I see sometimes the way people wear masks i'm like sir i should be over your nose but thank you um why can you explain to people why it's important that they're fitted for an N95 mask? So the N95 mask is made to filter out very tiny particles and we'll wear them for people with uh, communicable diseases like tuberculosis or COVID if it's going to be aerosolized and it blocks out those really tiny particles. So you really can't have any kind of opening on the side of the mask, on the side of your face. So every year we have to be specially fitted for these to make sure that we get a tight seal. And so if you're just buying it in the store, then chances are you don't know if it's going to fit well or not. And if it doesn't fit well, it's not really doing you what it's intended to do. And it's just kind of pointless. You mean you might as well not even wear a mask if you're not going to have it fitted properly. Yeah. Because, um, I see people wearing masks, like you said, they're not fitted properly. I've seen photos of people wearing the N95 masks wrong. And a couple months ago, I was really upset about it because I know people in the healthcare industry and I know hospitals are are really fighting to get equipment. And then I'm seeing people wearing these masks wrong who aren't in the hospital working or they're not involved with people who are sick constantly and it it just really frustrated me right or there was that guy in the news in new york that was hoarding thousands of masks was he arrested i think i heard this story Yeah, he He was arrested and then they took the mask yeah right it's like what do you really need that many n95 masks like he should be donating them to the hospital especially in new york i mean oh god people are crazy Right. I'm sure he was planning on selling and trying to make some money off of them or something. Right. Like, ah, oh, it's $50,000 a mask or something. Because, you know, you'd think in this situation, people would come together and most do, but there's still those few stragglers who are just douchebags who are like, I'm going to try to become rich off of selling masks. Right. Right. Everybody's <laughs> always looking to see how they can make money off of other people somebody needs to open a business where they teach people how to wear a mask now there's some cash i think i should write that down that sounds like a good (laughs) one hi we're gonna do tutorials on how to wear masks and if you have an n95 mask just go ahead and bring it to the hospital and give it to them if you haven't worn it right and Uh, a lot of hospitals are accepting donations of medical equipment right now masks or gloves or 
um, face shields, all that kind of stuff. Now, do you have to wear a face shield or no? No, the face shield is only recommended if you're coming in contact with somebody who's coughing or it's going to be aerosolized in some way, like if you're suctioning somebody out. Um, so it, we don't really have to wear face shields unless you're okay. anticipating somebody coughing on you. I wonder if you now do the hospitals test everyone for COVID-19? Because I'm thinking, what if somebody's on your floor, they've had some type of hip surgery or knee surgery, and all of a sudden they start coughing and they're running a fever, would you immediately test them for COVID-19? Well, now they are. So at first there was a shortage of tests. So a lot of the people who actually needed testing weren't even able to get it. So that was a problem. But now that they've got more tests and now that the rapid test is available, they are testing any elective surgeries. So they just started resuming elective surgeries. I think it was last week. And any elective surgery gets a rapid COVID test before surgery. So that's good. That helps protect us. It helps protect them and the other patients as well. Um, but before we had the rapid test, we actually did have a patient who had a hip fracture and was there for surgery and was discharged to a skilled nursing facility and ended up testing positive at the skilled nursing facility. So they were asymptomatic while they were with us, but then ended up being positive. So we actually had several of our staff members that ended up getting sick with COVID. Oh, and that was what I was going to ask you. Have you had any coworkers? Do you know anyone who's tested positive for COVID-19 and how has it turned out for them? Yeah, there's been, I think about four of my coworkers that work with me that had been sick. And I think they're all back to work now, but they were out for like about two or three weeks at least. Now they're all doing better now. Were they, were they nurses that had direct contact with COVID-19 patients or were they on just different floors and they just happened to contract it? No, it was about one patient that was asymptomatic. Um, so that, that I know oh, of anyway. So I know wow. at least, at least I think about three of them had contact with that patient. So they so ended that, up testing positive, but wow. Um, yeah. So that one patient got like three to four nurses sick. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, that we know of. Yeah. That's crazy. Now, because you work in a hospital where you actually know coworkers who aren't even working with COVID-19 patients and they get sick, how's your level of anxiety and stress when you're going into work? Like, do you have to like talk yourself like, all right, no, 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 no. Let me, let me go in there and let me do this. Cause I know healthcare professionals, there's a switch in their brains that almost you can switch off the fear of doing your job. Yeah, it's definitely better now than it was about a month ago. A month ago, there were a lot of unknowns, and it was, it was just a very anxious time. And uh, the cases were climbing. We didn't really know how badly it was going to affect us here yet. So it was it was very scary. And especially when we were still doing elective surgeries, I was I was very concerned because I'm like, well, if these people are asymptomatic, why are we bring them in here? And we don't know what's going to happen. And it just doesn't seem like it's a good risk to put your staff at risk, put the patients at risk. Uh, so that was that was definitely concerning. But then they did they did eventually stop doing elective seat procedures. And, um, it uh, it tends it really I think North Carolina did a good job about um, putting people closing businesses early 
and telling people to stay home um, as opposed to some other states where they really lagged behind and took a long time. So I think, I think they did a good job about um, controlling it here before it got really bad. But uh, yeah, at the hospital, um, it definitely has been very anxious experience. Um, But I would say that it's gotten better now that the cases have started to drop and uh, they're, they've got the rapid test. So if now that they are doing elective procedures, at least we know that these people are negative before we're bringing them in. Um, but it's still, everything's changing every day. So kind of stay on your toes. Well, One thing though, that I will say, go ahead. But, uh, when this was all, when they were talking about converting our floor and, um, I had so many questions and I had, uh, emailed my manager asking her all these different questions about, um, the procedures that were going to take place and what was going to happen. And I asked her about, uh, is, is there any kind of hazard pay? And the response <laughs> that I got back was a very, um, <laughs> it, was, it was a very, uh, managerial response. Um, well, this is what you've chosen to do. This is what we take risks every day. And, um, while yes, that is true. It also kind of bothered me because this is not like any risk that we've had to take so far. I mean, we expect to have infectious people and we expect to um, have to take care of those people. And I've had people with like tuberculosis before or HIV or AIDS and you take the appropriate precautions. Uh, but this is very different for one thing because we're having to reuse personal protective equipment. But the number of healthcare workers who have taken care of COVID patients and have gotten sick is much higher than other diseases that we're used to seeing in the hospital. Um, so you, you've seen the people in New York taking care of COVID patients and the, the healthcare staff. And because they are constantly exposed, they're getting sicker than a lot of people who would normally get COVID. So I think it's definitely... It's not, it's not what we signed up for. So that, that kind of bothered me, but I, I do accept that there's an inherent risk to my job, that when we're not given the equipment that we expect to have, um, and we are put more at risk, I feel like there should at least be an acknowledgement that, yeah, you didn't sign up for this. Um, but thank you for doing your job and taking care of people. Right. It, you know, there's a reason that people say the healthcare workers are on the front line. It's almost like a war against a enemy who you can't see. And the thing that really just scares me is that you can be asymptomatic for such a long time. And, you know, you working on the orthopedic floor, somebody working on the med surge floor or whatnot, you know, oh yeah, no, it's the COVID-19 floor's not even really attached to the building. You have nothing to worry about here. We use the same mask over and over again. You almost feel like, whoa, 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 this, this is all wrong. (laughs) And, um, (laughs) and I know flight attendants were asking leadership and management at the airlines, like, Hey, are we going to get paid something else to just to, because we are willing to come to work and we're going to get on the airplanes, you know, do we get any extra pay? And, And the airlines basically said, you're lucky you have a job. Right. So, you're right. Right. So. And I, I do feel lucky to have a job because, I mean, there's several there's millions of people right now who aren't so lucky. And so I am lucky that I can still 
pay my rent and pay my bills, but um, that doesn't mean that I don't want to feel protected. Right. Now, and, and the money, and here's the thing, and I can understand where you're coming from, and the money doesn't protect you, but it makes you feel valued. It makes you feel like, wow, they really appreciate that I'm not, that I am coming to work during a pandemic. And I think that's, that's right. the important thing is, you know, you, you, the money, you can't stuff up the dollar bills up your nose and not breathe them in, but you, it just makes you feel valued. And that right there is worth so much. And, you know, to a sense, it does protect you because if you're getting a little extra money and then you do get sick and you're not able to work, we don't have sick pay, so I'm just having to use my paid time off, which is like vacation pay, um, which I've already had to use quite a bit of it because we've been, our census has been so low that I've been getting called off about once a week. So I don't have a whole lot of it left. So if I were to get sick, I wouldn't really, I just wouldn't be getting paid. So if, if we're putting ourselves at risk, then does seem like maybe we should be getting a little extra money. So let me get this straight too. So you only have one PTO bank and you have to pull from it. So if they cancel you once a week, you have to use your own PTO. What happens when you want to take a vacation? Well, if I don't have any left, then I just won't get paid. That is just... That, you know, a lot of airlines are like that too. The airline I work for, we have one bank and it's the same thing. Like if you get sick and you have to use your PTO, it use, you use it out of that bank. And then when it's time for vacation, if you don't have any PTO, you can't go on vacation. I think that's such a shitty thing. <laughs> yeah, I it, it is. But at the same time, I've never worked anywhere where I've gotten sick pay, like separate sick pay. I have, when I was doing travel nursing, I know out West, um, Washington State and California, a lot of those hospitals are unionized and they do have fixed pay and vacation pay. But like as a traveler, um, I didn't get that because I got paid through my agency. But um, I, yeah, I've never actually had a job where I've gotten fixed pay. Mm. Yeah, I don't think I have either. Um, now, when you say that your department or your floor um, canceled elective surgeries, elective surgeries, just so I know, and listeners know, that's something that you say, Hey, you know what? My knee's been bothering. All right, well, we're going to schedule you for surgery in three weeks. And then, so you guys just cancel all those. Am I correct? Right. For the most part, they did make some exceptions depending on the severity of the case, but, um, most of, most of the scheduled knee and hip replacements were canceled. Those poor people sitting at home with that painful knee and hip, because I have a bad knee and I would, that would suck. Um, Do you guys, do they tell you who's positive for COVID-19 in the hospital or because of HIPAA laws? No, just like patients too, because isn't it true you're only supposed to know about the patient you're taking care of? Right. We don't, like, they don't tell us like, oh, Joe Blow up on the third floor has COVID. Uh, but if now that we have a COVID floor, like obviously all the patients that are down there either have it or are rule out. Um, but then we still have, we don't have ICU level patients down there. So there are patients in the ICU that are still COVID patients. Oh, okay. So if, if you're in, like, if you're, of course, if you're on a ventilator, you're going to be in ICU instead of this COVID floor. Am I correct? Okay. Right. So there you have have a contingency plan in case in case uh, we were overwhelmed um, and they did need a separate like COVID ICU, there was like a contingency um, that they would change things up. But thankfully it hasn't come to that. 
Now, have you been told if other co-workers are positive or do you guys just kind of guess or figure it out? Oh, Mary's not here this week. She probably has COVID-19. Well, they don't tell us specifically like, you know, Mary's got COVID. Um, but, like, <laughs> Poor Mary. I felt bad for you, Mary. <laughs> <laughs> but I, a lot of times you'll see people taking off the schedule or like, I mean, if you know them, then text them, be like, what's up? And they'll tell you. You know, in the flight attendant but we're world. Not, we're not like trying not to be like super gossipy. Right. <laughs> Like, oh my God, Mary's got the COVID-19. No, I asked that because in the airline industry, flight attendants, there was this big uproar a couple, like maybe a month ago where um, there were flight attendants, pilots that were dying from COVID-19. And a lot of flight attendants were saying, we need to know how many people have, how many of our coworkers have been tested. And I was on the fence with it. Kind of like a couple of weeks ago, I was like, yeah, you know, we should know the number do you think that it's important to know how many people that you work with had tested positive for COVID-19? Um, I don't know if it makes that big of a difference. Um, I mean, I think it's definitely something to track and I think that's something the hospital should know, but I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily something that the employees have to know um, that. And I feel like we can kind of get a gauge of how many people have had to call in sick or who's taken off the schedule or, uh, what's going on. Um, and if there was, if it came to be that there was a problem with staffing and that that many people were getting sick, that, that obviously something isn't right. They're not doing something, some, something somewhere isn't right. But at the same time, just because your fellow employees are getting sick doesn't mean they absolutely got it in the hospital either. They could have gotten it somewhere else and out in the grocery store from a family member. Right. And, you know, that happened. Um, this flight attendant got COVID-19 and passed away and everyone was in an uproar because they were like, oh, my God, he, um, this person got it from working. And this person had been on a leave of absence for like uh, two years. So they did not get it from being on the airplane. And I was like, see, this is why facts right. are important, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is why assuming is bad. Um. And I think that's the good thing about my profession, though, is people understand how it's spread and they're not going to be a pariah when they come back because you're with people who work in the healthcare profession. So they know that, well, you had it, you're good, you're, you're better. I don't have anything to worry about right now. You're, and they're not going to be isolated at work or feel like they're going to be discriminated against because they have had it. Well, that's good. Yeah, you're you're not going to be able, you're not going to be in the med room, like Mary, stay six feet from me because I know you had the COVID nineteen, <laughs> the COVID nineteen. What before yeah, I let you? It's like really hard to social distance at work too. Right? So. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, well, you're you're working really close with these people, and there's I I mean we'll wear masks and everything, but the 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 amount the it's, yeah it's really almost impossible to social distance with an air. Yeah, I don't even know how that's possible. I don't. I have no clue how you would even be able to do that. Before I let you go, though, I want to ask you: How are you managing and maintaining your stress level with like social distancing and just living through this time? I've been trying to enjoy my time at home when I have been at home. Um, I've had a stretch of days off this past week, so it's been kind of nice. I haven't had to really think about work and. Um, I've just been, I've been doing a lot of spring cleaning 
because it makes me feel better when I'm home and my house looks clean and mm-hmm. everything's in order. So I, I rearranged some furniture and been doing a lot of online shopping and just a little bit of baking. Well, that's nice. Yeah, because I think it, I, I'm curious and I think it's important because you're, you're in such a high level job as a healthcare worker right now. And it's like every time you go to work, you're going into the fire. So I always think like, how do these people when they're home, do they decompress and put that like, okay, that's over there with my scrubs and my tele, my, my telescope, my stethoscope. And now I'm just a normal person and I'm okay. Yeah. Um, I really try to compartmentalize because I don't like to, I don't like to be stressing about work when I'm not at work. So I try, that's, that's one thing I like to put away all my work stuff so I don't see it and it's out of sight, out of mind. And I really don't like to talk about it a whole lot when, when I'm not at work. Like, so if I, when it, it kind of irks me when people ask me like, well, what's your schedule this week? What's your schedule? And I'm like, I just don't want to even think about it. I'm off of work right now and I want to just, know that I'm off of work and not be thinking about work. And uh, one thing that's kind of been hard is because I really like getting outside and being outdoors and all the trails and everything are closed right now. So I think they're going to be reopening a lot of them next week. So that'll be nice to be able to just get outside and be able to get some nature therapy. Nature therapy. Yeah. In Colorado, the trails are open now. And um, last week I was like, I'm going to go to the trails and there wasn't a spot in the parking lot. So I was like, oh, everyone's thinking the same thing I am. I want to just get outside. Being outside is something that we took for granted before. Isn't that interesting? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And just being, I don't know, you know, I got my dogs, so I like having my dogs and they're, they're a good distraction. And that was, that was another thing that was really hard when all this was going about. My dog had a bad eye infection. So I was dealing with that. And then I was super stressed about work and trying to trying to adjust to all the things that were going on at work and then coming home and uh, she wasn't feeling well and I just felt like I couldn't do anything for her and uh, it it was it was that was super stressful just not having being able to just have normalcy in either place but oh, thankfully yeah. that has all resolved and um, things have gotten to somewhat back to normal. And you said in your, well, I'm glad that your dog is better and everything's getting back to normal. You said that the cases are down in your area. Is, have you, is that, is that something that they're saying on the news or is that just from what you're experiencing in the hospital? Well, both like the, uh, the curve has kind of started to go down, I think around here and in the hospital, especially like I told you. Last week when I was at work, I, they had actually emptied out the COVID unit, so it was completely empty. Oh, um, and then occasionally they would have like one or two patients down there, so it would really fluctuate. Like I think over the weekend, the previous weekend, there were like maybe four or five patients, and then they had discharged the final patient that was there on Monday or Tuesday. And uh, so I haven't been to work in about a week, so oh, okay. I don't know currently if they still have it closed or uh, if. They, I think they were kind of just waiting to see what happened too. So okay. um, I'm thinking since they're starting to reopen more stores, maybe they'll just, even if we don't have a lot of patients, they'll leave that unit kind of set aside because it's a big pain to try and transfer patients and move things back to where they were. Right. And uh, so I think maybe with things starting to reopen a little bit, that they'll make it kind of wait and see what happens. 
Well, that's smart because as things open and people start getting together again, people are going to start getting COVID-19 again. So it's better to just keep this unit the way it is because there's probably going to be patients being admitted in the next probably month or two. Right. That's, that's and what I in the expect. news, what they're saying is, yeah, they're saying that they expect the second wave to be higher than the first, but I'm sure that's very regionally dependent also. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that's not the case here, but uh, you never know. And it just kind of depends on how smart people are being too, which you can't always control. Yes. Being smart is so important as humans and we fail that often. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Sarah, for calling in. I really appreciate it. Please be safe out there and um, give your dogs a big hug for me. They're probably thinking, oh my God, she goes to work. She's going to bring COVID-19 home to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm surprised you haven't heard barking this whole time. I'm, I'm really shocked about that. Well, they're probably, yeah. What, what are they? Are they just sleeping or? Uh, they're, they're in a separate room watching TV to kind of oh. <laughs> drown out the outside noises. That's great. <laughs> well, yeah, it was very quiet. When I, um, when I recorded with um, the director of public safety in Manatee County, Florida, he was sitting outside and there was a bird who thought it was one of the guests. And the whole episode, <laughs> the whole recording, all you do is hear this bird sing, which was actually nice. But All right. Well, thank you so much for calling in. I really appreciate it. You be safe and take care. All right. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, Dan, for coming on to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe to discuss COVID-19 and your experience right now through this pandemic. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. Now, let me let listeners know right off the bat that you are not a healthcare worker. You are actually an airline pilot, but your wife is a healthcare worker in the New York City area. And I just thought it was important to get you on the show because, you know, everyone on the news gets the healthcare nurses and the doctors. But I was sitting here thinking, well, I wonder what it's like for the family. Right, right. Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely uh, uh, it has its challenges as we all kind of learn uh, the new norm and, and, and find our way through this, uh, this time. So it definitely has a, a big effect on everybody, just not the healthcare workers. Uh, we see their, their, their stories, you know, every day on the news, how tough it is to be working in hospitals with um, overcrowding and lack of um, supplies that they need to effectively do their jobs. But uh, it definitely does take a toll on um, the entire family uh, unit as well beyond the hospital. Now, without giving away hospital names, I know it's in the New York City area, but what exactly, what kind of nurse is your wife? What floor does she work on? Uh, so we live on Long Island. So we are about 35 minutes outside of Manhattan. Uh, my wife is a acute care um, speech language pathologist. So she does a lot of um, work with patients who have uh, our stroke um, associated um, issues, um, trach and laryngectomy, uh, people who are on ventilators, um, a lot of swallowing disorders that come up post um, uh, surgeries or um, uh, diagnosis of, of whatever whatever they've been diagnosed with. So more of a hospital setting um, versus like a speech pathologist who would work in a school district. So two totally different avenues that kind of fall under the same name. Now, you said she works with vent 
patients. Have they seen a lot of vent patients in the hospital that she works at? Uh, they are completely maxed out on, on vent patients at her hospital. She's at, a, I would say, like a medium-sized hospital for our area. So it's about a 300-bed hospital. Um, at the at the height uh, or the as we were ramping up through this uh, pandemic, you know, New York City was the hardest hit. And then kind of the wave flowed out onto um, western Long Island and then out eastern Long Island where we are. Um, all the hospitals in our our area were pretty much at 100 uh, percent vent uh, patients. They had, I believe, 30 to 40 people on ventilators um, at one time at her hospital. Um, I never really heard of uh, the need for ventilators like they were short and they needed more. They were always they always seemed to be able to to get by with what they had. But it was a constant, constant state of um of uh, just uh, all hands on deck. And my wife did say, like so many have said, that you know it, it was like a war zone. Every day was just emotionally and mentally draining because they were seeing so many, um, so many things that they'd never seen before, trying to treat a pandemic with uh, the very little information. Um, you know, in the beginning, we all assumed that this was a respiratory, uh, flu-like um, situation where, People just got flu-like symptoms, but there are, there's a myriad of other symptoms that have popped up along the way that they're seeing um, cardiac-related issues, uh, blood clotting-related issues, a combination of those things. So it's, uh, you know, you really don't know what you're protecting yourself from because they found there's just so many different uh, variations of the, the quote-unquote COVID-19 um, label. Yeah, there's, um, every, you know, People, I, I was talking to a friend and he was talking about how, oh, they estimated up to 250,000 people were going to die from this. And, you know, it's so much lower than I'm like, well, it's not over. <laughs> no, it's definitely not over. They just today, um, hours ago, uh, the governor, uh, Governor Cuomo stated that uh, schools in New York will be closed for the remainder of the academic year. Um, I, everybody has done their, their part, per se, with social distancing, and that has really greatly decreased the uh, the spread uh, but we do need to be careful I mean I'm, I'm obviously not a medical professional half my family are in medicine I have tons of doctors in the family and nurses and um, you know they're all saying the same thing everyone's got to be very quick not to go back to their normal routine although we all are dying to do that um, you know history repeats itself this happened in the Spanish flu they had massive parades afterwards in Philadelphia and within days it was, the pandemic just resurfaced again and there was a huge wave of death and the resurgence of, of the uh, the flu then. So we need to be careful. I know everyone's itching to get back to their normal right, lives, right. but it's, uh, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a, a new way we're going to have to look at the way we, we do things. I mean, we're definitely not going to be able to go back to our, our normal routine for quite some time, I think. Um, we're just going to have to see how it plays out, you know, in, in general population in the airline world where, you know, I live and work and, uh, just in general. I, um, I have this theory that we're going to be wearing masks for a long time. And on one of my episodes last week or a couple of weeks ago, when I had pilots on, um, talking about COVID-19, I was talking with one of the pilots and I was like, I think we're going to be wearing masks for a while. Oh no, I don't think so. And I'm like, no, no, I think so. Yeah. I think this could become uh, part of the new norm for an undetermined amount of time where we go out in public and we have a mask on. 
I, I think so. I mean, we're seeing, it's funny, you know, at the end of my wife's shift, when she comes home, you know, she needs to vent on somebody. So I get, you know, a whole list of this patient and that patient. And keep in mind that for a small hospital, they're losing between eight and 12 patients every single day. Um, so the stories are just, are nonstop and, and they do also do a lot of research to keep themselves abreast of how this is all developing. So we're post, uh, one to two months behind the, the, the spurt in China where this was orig- originated. Um, so people or patients in China who tested positive, got Corona, um, got through it and then tested negative. They're now finding our testing positive again up to 70 days later. So they're not even entirely sure that that people are able to shed the virus. It just may live um, with them and they carry it. They may not be symptomatic, but they could also be spreading it at the same time. So, you know, I think precautions are, uh, are definitely going to be a big part of how we operate moving forward beyond the normal germaphobe um, right. <laughs> uh, tendency some, some people already have. I mean, it's just going to be a fact of life. Will it die out? Die out in time? Sure, um, but you know, it's uh, people need to be educated, and it's it's pretty uh, frustrating when I see people say, "Well, we've got to get back to life. We have right. to open the economy." That's true, but at what expense? You know, are we just willing to sacrifice people just to say, you know, capitalism and and, right. and money is, is what we need? Overall, I don't know. I don't want to throw you off that, but I wanted to go back a moment. How many beds does uh, are there in the hospital that your wife works at? I I believe she said there's about it's a 300 bed hospital. Uh, it's a re- re- relatively smaller community hospital compared to like the Stony Brook State University Hospital that's um, big on Long Island. Um, and you said eight to 10, they're losing eight to 10 people a day. Is that from COVID-19 or is that just general? Uh, that is primarily COVID-19. Okay. At one point, about a week or two ago, every patient at the hospital was COVID positive. Um, I mean, it, it was on the news and I was horrified to see it in the beginning that, um, refrigeration trucks were showing up at hospitals and, you, Ooh, you yeah. know, like a lot of us, we all kind of think like, okay, yeah, that's happening elsewhere, but not in my backyard until they showed up at our hospital. Um, and, you know, the, the morgue is only so big and people were dying at such a rate that the funeral homes couldn't keep up with taking um, people who had passed away. So there was just, there was beginning to be a buildup. So um, it's, it's, it's really scary. Now you, um, are you a longtime New Yorker? You're born and raised in New York? I am. I'm okay. born and raised in New York, yeah. This, this is off topic a little bit, but I had never heard of Heart Island. Did you know about Heart Island prior to the COVID-19 and them having to bury people who don't have families or don't have money or whatnot? Did you know about that? Not Heart Island specifically, um, but I know cemeteries like that existed. Where I am out, out on Long Island, we have um, a network of um, state hospitals um, which were long-term psychiatric centers, which stemmed off of uh, Kings County, Manhattan, um, where they would send disabled or mentally ill patients. And uh, a lot of those families, uh, you know, deserted their family members if they had any sort of mental illness. So they would, you know, go to live in these institutions and then die off. And they were, you know, buried in these kind of just mass grave empty fields that exist uh, kind of throughout the area, I guess. Um, so I know I've never heard of that island specifically, but I do know scenarios like that exist. 
Yeah, I um I learned about it watching Sunday morning CBS Sunday morning with Jane Pauley. They did a special on it, and yep. I thought I thought, wow, I had no idea that existed, and it's it kind of made me think of like. This is going to sound terrible, but it kind of made me think of like how a third world country disposes of bodies that maybe there's no family or there's no money and they just died in the hospital and there's no next of kin. And, you know, in my mind, that doesn't happen in the United States of America because, you know, I guess I right. still live in this dream world of, yes, every, this is the United States of America. It's amazing, right? Um, <laughs> who would just leave well, a dead person in a hospital without family? But it does happen. So it was a wake-up call for me. It was a huge wake-up. I mean, this whole thing has been a wake-up call, and we've said it, I mean, multiple, multiple times. It's amazing how fragile we are as a society just in, in terms of that respect you know i have a family member who works at another hospital towards new york city and um and a and the majority of the community around our hospital is definitely um you know lower socioeconomic um scenario and those people are um are passing away in the hospitals and then the hospital needs to say okay we need to you know, make arrangements the funeral homes can't take the take the um uh, take the bodies because there's a waiting list for cremation and there's a waiting list for burial and all that. So they're, they're charging storage fees, but the families can't afford the storage fees. So they're just opting to leave them at the hospital. I mean, it's just unbelievable um, where, where we are and just how it, it kind of really um, affects, affects everybody. I lost my own grandmother to this about a month ago. She was in a nursing home and, you know, they seem to, to be uh, oh, no. breeding grounds for this virus. And uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, a, it's horrible because for weeks prior to that, um, they weren't, they went into lockdown. So there was nobody in, nobody out. So we didn't see her for probably three weeks um, until right before she passed away. And they called and said, you know, if you can get here, we'll do our best to make sure she knows you're here. And I mean, we stood outside the window and looked inside. Um, you know, it, it was just it's horrible. That's how you had to say goodbye to your yeah. grandma. You had to look. Th oh, that's. T I'm so sorry to hear. Yeah, that. that's so sad. Uh, thank you. It's, but it, you know, whoever thought that's the way it would be. Um, right. But you know, it, it is stark reality of of where we are. Um, but uh, my biological father is in a nurse. He lives in a nursing home, and I speak with my biological sister. And um, I say biological because for people who don't know, I just found my biological dad and my siblings two and a half years ago. So I don't call him dad. I call him my bio, bio dad, but he's in a nursing home and seven people on his unit are COVID-19 positive. And it's so crazy because it's a lot, it's locked down. No one can get in. It's actually the healthcare professionals bringing it in, which is scary. Yeah. Well, that's so scary. That's right. Right. So, you know, they go home, they go out to the stores or whatnot, and that's where it's, that's where it's being picked up. Oh, it's so sad. And my sister is like, I'm waiting for the phone call. And I'm like, uh, like he's 90. So, you know, things, you know, I'm sure if oh he gets gosh. it, it's probably not going to be a good thing. Um, but I'm sorry to hear about your grandmother and the thought of you having to say goodbye, you guys having to say goodbye through a window really just, it, it puts a big exclamation mark on how this is affecting us. You know, when, when there's yeah. people out there like, oh, it hasn't affected me. Well, sometimes it's not about you. 
It's about your neighbor who had to say goodbye to their grandmother through the window because they couldn't go in and touch them or say goodbye to them. It's very sad. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard for somebody to say that they didn't know somebody or, or you know, uh, it's just so widespread. But um, especially in New York, we're like the epicenter and it just completely exploded. Um, you know, I think New York combined is is a larger number than all of Europe that had it and or, or died from it. It's really, really crazy. I had done, um, you know, it's all about acting as quickly as possible. I had done some trips out to the West Coast. Uh, before the flying really started to slow down and, and Los Angeles and San Francisco over a month ago uh, where, you know, it was like isolated, everybody was shut down. And you looked at the numbers out there versus the New York area. It's just they did an amazing job in, in trying to control it the best the best way they could. So it, uh, it makes as much as it pains us to. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Sorry. No, it's because as much as as it pains us to have to socially distance and maybe, you know, shut things down for a while, it, it does prove to work and then slowing down the spread. Now let's, let's talk about, I want to talk about your wife when she's going to work. So when you're seeing her putting on all her gear and she's leaving for work, how did, you know, what's, what goes through your brain? What goes through your mind? Uh, well, you know, she works Monday through uh, Monday through Friday. So, you know, I think right now, every day, she's just mentally drained as to what she's going to face today. Um, you know, when she goes in, it's it's a lot of it's a lot of isolation in that everybody everybody that she's seeing is is really really sick. So the, the hospitals are not you know they're not designed to have people in a pandemic situation all the time. So when patients are essentially quarantined because they're positive. Um, they're in rooms that are, that are, they're by themselves in rooms. And even the IV poles with the IVs are out in the hallway. They have extra long lines that go into the patients. So these patients are in the rooms by themselves just essentially almost all day long. Um, you know, some are, you know, you don't know what their mental state is or, or where they are. And, you know, they, they get confused. And then you do have people come in who are in complete head to toe, you know, uh, just as you see on the news and like spacesuit type stuff. And it's very confusing for some of the elderly people that may have dementia or things like that. Um, I know my wife came home one day, just, she walked, she walked in the back door, you know, the whole process when she comes home, nothing that she's worn comes in the house. Um, she essentially strips down by the back door. Shoes come off, they get Lysol put right into a bin. Her clothes come off, they get essentially like boil them in the, um, in the wash machine. And then she showers before she touches or talks to anybody. It's just standard routine routine now. So it's that whole process. And just, I think the mental aspect of what the day is going to bring. And you're just constantly on, she says that you just can't, I mean, you are because you're working anyway, but you're just always in this like defense mode of how, and what am I doing to protect myself right now? Um, the lack of, supplies in the beginning of this was really straining on on all the healthcare professionals they didn't have the proper ppes the n95 masks were uh very hard to come by you know those masks are designed to go in see a patient come out and throw it out um and then you're being told you have to make that mask last the entire day and then it got to the point where it had to last two days and they would take it at night and and sanitize it somehow and they'd get it back and you know we've all seen the news that 
healthcare workers, their faces have, you know, broken down sores on their noses and faces because they're wearing this equipment all day long to protect themselves. So I think just that constant state of, of being on alert mentally is, is draining. And, um, you know, it's very, it wears on you. It wears on you. Now we had a really sad case uh, and it's been on the news that a New York city doctor, she just was just completely, you know, distraught with how sick patients were and there weren't enough hours in the day for her to feel like she was helping as many people as she was. And she took her own life this last week because it was just too much oh, God. mentally to bear. Um, yeah, I saw it on the news. It's been on the last couple of days, but it's, it's just very, very sad. I mean, my wife, we live very close to the hospital, but there are people who work uh, with my wife who are so afraid that they haven't been home in over a month. They go to a hotel and sleep at, home, at a hotel because they are that afraid of bringing something home to their family and exposing them to it. And other healthcare workers that are sleeping in their cars. Uh, yeah, in the parking lot of the hospital. Yeah. So, I mean, you can go from one extreme to the other. She does everything possible to, to make sure she's as safe as she can be, uh, you know, cause she's in direct contact with, uh, these patients all day long. But, uh, you know, it's, it's her normal routine is, is definitely much more guarded than, uh, than it used to be where there was this constant, uh, fear of, am I, protecting myself the best way I can. Do I have the equipment that I need to, to do my job? So, You know, when healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, doctors, nurses, any type of healthcare professionals, when they go to work, they have to almost shut off their emotions, you know, because you have to be focused and you can't really think about all the sad stuff. I mean, it creeps in, but every once in right. a while, you know, you have to go into the med room and break down for a minute and then you wipe your face off and you're like, all right, I got to go take care of these seven people. Has right. she come the home? The anatomy moment. Yeah. Well, you know, and I was a nurse for 12 years, so I can remember having those moments where I would just go into the med room and just close my eyes for mm -hmm. like three minutes and say, just take a deep breath. Now, I, so I'm yep. assuming when she's at work, she's on. Has she had any breakdowns coming home? Like, do you have, are there moments where you have to just sit there with her and let her just vent about everything going on? Yeah, she she you know we talk pretty much every every night when she comes home just about her day. She just kind of purge you know the stuff that's going through her mind. Both her mom and her dad were medical professionals, so she talks to them a lot. Um, she's uh, always talking to her dad, um, who was a cardiothoracic um, surgeon, about different things that she's seeing, what he thinks. He worked a lot with the CDC uh, in his um, in his uh, career. So, uh, you know, there's a constant desire that I see for her to, to understand things and see how things are playing out and why they're happening, which is, um, you know, which is just how they, you know, they work. They're, they're, you know, we always say, healthcare professionals practice medicine they are this is a clear example where they're practicing on something that they've never had to deal with so um i give these healthcare professionals a tremendous amount of credit for trying to deal with the situation at hand and then learn as much as they can about it so they're you know, better equipped for for moving forward but yeah there are definitely days where she comes home and uh she's just she you know that one patient she went in to check on to see how they were doing who just, you know, started to code while she was in the room and nobody can get in there fast enough and she's literally dying 
and gasping for air and looking at her. And, you know, my wife doesn't know this, this person, but she's the only thing she has in that moment, which when she's just, you know, she's in her last minutes, it's, it's really, you know, definitely trying, but there are positives to this. Um, also, um, you know, my wife had said they had a gentleman show up to the emergency room, uh, a, about a month and a half ago who um, had COVID was recovering from home, but they're seeing a lot of cardiac issues happening towards the end where they're throwing clots and this guy was in, um, was in cardiac arrest and they had to intubate him in his car in the parking lot. Like, that's how fast it was deteriorating. Oh, yeah. He was their longest ventilator patient for like, I want to say almost 30 days. Um, and he just went home this week. And oh, that's, uh, good. He was a, that's good. Yeah, and he was um, he was a de- detective um, at the police department, and um, you know was just so grateful for the work that everybody did to uh, to get him through this. And so there are positives, sure. Um, but it's just uh, you know the, the whole thing takes definitely takes a toll, especially when you lose you know family members or or you know I've, I have a neighbor who was forty four years old who just. Uh, who got it and um, who died around the same time as my grandmother. Yeah. You know, perfectly healthy guy. And you know, sad. I haven't met anyone who's died. I've known some people who've had it and recovered, but I haven't met anyone. I don't know anyone who's died of it yet. So um, I'm sure that that will come. Now, let me ask you this. Your wife comes home, she unloads all her day of anxiety and stress onto you. How do you manage your stress being the spouse of a healthcare worker? Uh, you know, I'm sympathetic or empathetic to, you know, all that she's going through. Um, you know, it's funny being our roles, being an airline pilot, you know, I'm gone maybe half the month, you know, sporadically throughout the month. So we kind of get into our routines, but now I've kind of become stay at home dad, mm-hmm. you know, well, I'm home every single day and, and trying to homeschool is the new norm now with uh, technology trying to keep our kids up to date with, with what they have to try and get through with their schoolwork. So um, I just, in my own way, just try to keep busy with my routine. Um, you know, definitely exercising more as a form of meditation and, and try not to, uh, to get the snacking out of control. So many of us are dealing with. <laughs> uh, I've started making but, very know, fancy drinks. So I know, yeah, we, I know. We, we I, all um, we all have to do what we have to do to survive. <laughs> and this is a funny story. My wife would tell me for telling it, but I have to tell it. It was just one b- bad day. I was, um, I forgot where I was, but I came home and I noticed she had gotten home early. And uh, I knocked on the bathroom door and I said, "Hey, you okay?" I heard the shower running. She goes, "Yeah, I'm all right. I'll be out in a couple of minutes." So I'm talking to her, and I just went into the bathroom, but she's standing in the shower with a glass of wine in her hand. She goes, don't you judge me. <laughs> she actually... a glass of wine in the shower. <laughs> it was that kind of a day. I've heard of people having beers in showers, but I've never heard of wine. I mean, I've had wine in the bathtub. I've been in Europe, and I'm like, I think they, I think they take baths with wine. So not in the water, but and in candles. a glass. Yeah, yeah, and candles, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, well, yeah, so. that's good. I'm glad she's drinking wine in the shower. She fucking deserves it. <laughs> <laughs> she does. She does. So, I mean, hopefully we're, we're the numbers. I just saw a briefing earlier today uh, by our incredible governor in New York, who I think is doing a fantastic job the best that he can with this unprecedented situation. Uh, but the numbers are starting to trend down. The numbers of 
positive patients being diagnosed, people on ventilators, people are being admitted. Those, all of those numbers are starting to creep down slowly, very slowly, but they are decreasing. So I think we're on the back side of the curve now. It's just a matter of being diligent and keeping it at bay and hopefully, you know, working, keeping it to a minimum until they get some sort of a vaccine or, or some sort of right. viable treatment. Because, I mean, we're just essentially treating the symptoms as, as they present themselves is what my wife keeps saying. You know, there's no true treatment for COVID. It's just managing, you know, the respiratory, the cardiac, the, all those symptoms as they uh, emerge, you know, through somebody's course of uh, having them. So. Right. Cause they, you know, who knows, you know, who knows what's going on every day, something new happens, or there's a new symptom or, Oh, there's, I just saw an article, six new symptoms. If you, po you could possibly have COVID-19. So this thing is going to be changing. And uh, so, you know, the medical professionals are like, yeah, we just have to try to get through the day. Right. Right. And there is some amazing research R and D going on. I mean, at our university hospital here in Long Island, our neighbor, She's a PA there, and of course they were commiserating over experiences and how they're managing. And she was saying just the uh, the stuff that they're trying to to do some research and development on um, is you know is encouraging. Um, it's just a matter of trying to find all the uh, the variables that existed in the COVID the COVID nineteen because I didn't I never heard of COVID before this, but apparently you know COVID one through eighteen all of like your common cold, your normal flu, they all are COVID viruses. Um, so 19 is just the, the, I guess the newest, the newest model of, uh, of, um, of what's out there. Yeah. I, I have no detail. I have no facts to talk about that. I have no idea what happened between one and 18. All I care about is 19. Right. Um, and then when it, when it transforms into 20, then I'll be ready for that. No, I won't be ready for that. But <laughs> I want to know, do you guys have a plan? Because you know, you're an airline pilot, but you're home a lot right now because nobody's flying airplanes. Um, but so, and your wife's going right. to work Monday through Friday. Do you guys have a plan for when she, or if she does get COVID-19 and what you're going to do, you're going to put a tent in the backyard, send the kids away. Like what's the deal? Yeah. <laughs> So in the beginning of this whole um, outbreak, we actually thought she had COVID-19. Uh, my wife got sick. She had, um, you know, not flu-like symptoms, but she had the sore throat. She had some body aches. And in the beginning, they were having the healthcare uh, workers were required to take their temperature three times a day, keep a log. That log has to be turned in every week. Um, and then all of a sudden, she started to spike the temperature. So um, this is when tests were hard to come by or were they were just rolling out the testing and she couldn't even get tested at her own hospital. I mean, it was a, an absolute goat rope to try and get her tested somewhere. Um, but she presented all these symptoms and they were, you know, the healthcare providers she was talking to were saying, you know, you definitely have it. You're presenting all the symptoms. Uh, so we just have to treat it like you have it. Um, we eventually did get tested and it came back negative. So she never had it. She just had a cold. But in that time frame. Um, we had, the kids got scooped up and sent to Pennsylvania to grandma and grandpa's house. And they were there for a couple of weeks. And, um, you know, we split off. I spent, you know, the better part of a month and a half in the guest bedroom. And we just kind of isolated ourselves to the best of our abilities and, and managed that way. She, but it was very mild symptoms overall. And, um, within, within about a week or two, she felt much better and, 
um, got cleared to go back to work. So after she was tested negative, we just assumed it was coincidentally like a cold. But in the event that she does come down with it, I mean, again, it, it would probably entail, um, you know, kids leaving leaving the house and uh, her going into isolation for the for the most part. So hopefully we don't get to that uh, that point. She is very diligent about protecting herself at work um, the best she can. So, you know, the scary thing is apparently you can carry this for up to two weeks uh, prior to having any symptoms. So you may be a carrier for two weeks and and spread it, you know, to 25 other people before you start to get symptoms. So you're kind of always gambling with that reality um, while trying to, you know, not completely put yourself in a box (laughs) and, uh, and shut up. Oh, no, I was going to say, you know, it's so different from my life because, you know, you sit there and you watch your wife go to work every day in a hospital and you're thinking, God, she could come home with COVID-19 and it's going to disrupt the entire house. Even even with the fact that because this is going on, it has already affected your house. You're not flying because nobody's flying. Like I said, your wife's going to work Mm -hmm. and it's 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 definitely higher stakes than if it was just a normal Friday in the world, right. you know, and here right. I go to target and my husband's like, please be careful. Like he panics when I go to target. So <laughs> if I was a I nurse, he would probably be having a nervous breakdown every day. I know uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to say, you know, we, um, the, the, as far as like masks go, the only true mask that is going to prevent it the you know, to the the best of its ability is the N95 mask. You have to have a complete seal around your face. Um, You know, the the rags that people are using, scarves, it may, I guess, block out some, but, I mean, you still, you know, have that exposure. Um, You know, we we have a Whole Foods is our closest store, and, you know, you stand in line, you know, one in, one out, one in, and they monitor the flow of people going in there. Aisles are labeled, you know, one-way aisles. You can only go down. So, we're just going to have to like manage the best, the best way that we can. I know everyone is anxious. There are some states that are trying to go back to normal already, but have been far less affected of you know, not like New York. So I guess maybe they think the odds are better that they'll fare, you know, fare. Okay. Um, but you know, I think education is, is a huge, um, a huge piece of it. There are people, you know, there are people that I worked with who in the beginning were like, you know, Oh, it's just a farce, you know, it's, kind of made up it's political blah 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 um you know and it just i base my decisions and the way we do things off of science um my entire family is essentially scientists you know medical backgrounds engineers all that um the numbers are the numbers they, they don't lie so we just try to do the best that we can to to keep ourselves safe and and keep on living the best way we can until hopefully this is well behind us but absolutely we Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, we're all doing what we can. And I think that people wear, I think they're telling you to wear a mask, even if it's like a cloth mask, because if you're coughing, you're protecting other people. Correct. Correct. So, so if I'm wearing a mask in the store, you know, I'm protecting you, but if you're not wearing a mask, you just don't give a fuck about anyone. (laughs) (laughs) And there are those people. I mean, I've seen one day we were at the grocery store and some person brought their kids and I swear they wrapped them in saran wrap. I'm like, we're the mummy kids. Like, like, just leave them home. And somebody stay home with them if you got a food shop that bad. You know, there's so, there's extremes on both with anything. There's extremes on on either side. But um, yeah, it's, 
It's certainly crazy. And I think once the airlines come back, you know, how are, you know, we're not going to go to filling airplanes right away. Are we going to have to social distance on airplanes? Or we sell half of an airplane? And who knows? But, uh, you know, it's the way we do did things is definitely going to have to change for quite some time until, um, you know, hopefully this is well behind us. But I did want to mention, I saw a really great, uh, uh, it's like a 30 or 40 minute mini documentary on Netflix the other day. Um, I forget the exact title, but it's coronavirus explained or something like that. It's in conjunction with Vox okay. uh, news. Um, and it was really informative. Just talked about the whole process, how other viruses, um, that we've dealt with in the past months, um, measles, uh, all that stuff, um, how they work to get vaccines for them. And, and it was really, you know, very fact-driven, um, really good information to uh, to inform people about exactly what we're dealing with and how we've dealt with it in the past and really emphasizes the uh, uh, some important facts okay. regarding the pandemic and how to get through it. Do you remember what the name of that was? I think it was called Coronavirus Explained. It, was, it just came out on um, Netflix. Um, and it's in conjunction with Vox, V-O-X, not Vox. It's um, Cornel, I can't even speak, Coronavirus Explained. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. Ladies and gentlemen, you should check Uh, that out too. (laughs) Yeah, it was really uh, just, you know, in our endless, you know, quest to find something new to watch. uh, It popped up and we're like, oh, it's just a short, I think it's like 35, 40 minutes, uh, little documentary on it. Pretty cool. Well, thank you for um, providing that information. And thank you, Dan, for calling in and talking to me a little bit about what it's like for your wife to be going to work and the expectations. And I was really interested in how you feel when she goes to work and you're just sitting there like, yeah, because it is like going into a war zone for healthcare professionals. It really, it really was. I mean, we used to call it the hot zone, going to the hot zone every day. Um, but it, it was just, it, it definitely takes a toll on so many levels, um, you know, uh, mentally, physically, um, and just everything. Uh, it's been, it's put everybody to, to the max. I mean, my wife has two, um, two coworkers who contracted it and died. So, oh, I mean, that's a huge... Wow. Reality, yeah, huge reality check. Um, you know, everyone kind of thinks, oh, other people are getting it, or it's just the old people are getting it. That's uh, not true. But there yeah. are cases, no, not at all. I mean, 23-year-olds on ventilators at the hospital, um, uh, just because. Oh, another really interesting fact, but they had a patient who was in his 20s who contracted it, and he de-escalated uh, uh, or went south so bad because he had been vaping for a couple of years oh. and his lungs were so ruined from the vaping that right. they just were not having a good time uh, or, or a good chance to fight this off. So just a, a PSA, <laughs> don't they? <laughs> I don't want to laugh about this, but you said his lungs weren't having a good time. Look, kids, if you're, if you're listening to this, kids... Vaping is not good and your lungs will not have a good time. You know what, Dan? Your lungs will have a good time. Sometimes it's okay to laugh because when we're when we're overwhelmed with so many sad things and so many negative um stories, sometimes you just have to break it up with some laughter. And when you said his lungs were not having a good time, I was I thought that was hilarious. His lungs <laughs> yeah, were well, not I- having a good time. No. 
But thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And um, please. Absolutely. I'm so happy you asked me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And please um, thank your wife from all of us. She is a hero. You know, I don't use the word hero. I hate. I think that people overuse the word hero, like they overuse the word breaking news and all that. But healthcare workers, I do believe, are heroes. So thank her for us, and you have a great day. I do too. They don't think they are, but uh, they really are. Especially now, they've uh, they've really. I think the one amazing thing about this is it has completely showed the world how important they are and the time they spent in their education and their practices and. And, and becoming who they are as healthcare professionals and, and what they deal with on a daily basis, which is great. And it's just amazing to see um, around the world, you know, the seven o'clock cheering that everybody does in New York City or mm-hmm. in many countries and cities uh, to thank everybody is, is really, really cool. We howl like yeah. um, wolves in Colorado at 8 p.m. Don't please don't ask. I'm, I'm a new Coloradian, I so I don't know. But yes, at know. 8, 8 p.m. we go out and we howl like wolves, and howl we're not the, the only ones. Everyone does it. So, thank you, Dan. Awesome. I will talk to you soon. Okay. Very good, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. You be safe. You too. Bye bye. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll get alerts when new episodes air. Also check out Flight Attendant Joe on Facebook and Instagram. And if you still haven't had enough of me, (laughs) check out the blog at www.flightattendantjoe.com.